0: 97% of all medical claims in America are actually underneath $5,000. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so, for this reason, a lot of these major uh, insurance companies will put their deductibles above. $5,000. Therefore, anytime that you go to use a claim, your insurance won't even kick in. So you're still paying them every month, but yet you never actually get to touch your stuff because you never hit your deductible. And it also makes you think to yourself that if you have a high deductible, you're probably less likely to use your insurance in the first place. And so is honestly a giant racket what these insurance companies have going on. They found the perfect way to create a system where you're basically paying them money And they almost never have to give you anything in return. And that is the story for most people in America. And so, yes, the system is incredibly corrupt. And I, again, I'm being biased right now, but I just do not think they're even worth saving.
1: what's going on everybody welcome to this week's episode of trash talks my guest this week joining me again from episode i think 12 we got host of independent thought desmond price
0: thank you for having me back on man really appreciate
1: it absolutely man glad to have you been looking forward to it oh man i mean we we scheduled this one right after the last one so it's pretty uh had no time in between hey, but to look forward to
0: it. <laughs> I had a good time, man. I'm glad you invited me back yeah. on because I feel like we, I mean, we filled up like two hours like it was nothing. So yeah, it easily. Was felt really quick.
1: Well, uh, that can happen pretty easily after uh, I've had a few drinks. And uh, I'm glad we get to go again because uh, I got blasted last time. I, I was rushing around all day looking forward to this but had several things in between. Eight nothing came on. I usually have a couple beers with the guests. Um, three deep and no food in my stomach. I. uh I started, I started going into like a little stream of consciousness. I had, a, I had a lot of extra questions for you. And, uh, you really, I feel you bared with me. I, I listening back, I was like, um, compound question, uh, long winded story with no ending. And you're like, yeah. So let me tell you a little bit about, about that subject.
0: <laughs> well, you know what? I mean, I think that as someone who's spent a lot of time in the host chair myself, I know that you can get like, Definitely critical of your craft a little bit. I know that I do when I listen back to my episodes, but in all honesty, I didn't, I mean, I thought that it was absolutely fine. I mean, there was only like, you know, one time where I was just like, oh, I'm not really sure how to answer that question, but that was about it. Honestly, you know, I thought it was a great episode and I'm glad I had a chance to come on and talk to some of the people listening to this podcast.
1: Yeah, no, I, I felt, I felt you did it. I, I, I felt I made it a little difficult. I, uh, I, you're right. I might be being a little hard on myself. I don't tend to judge a lot of my episodes. Uh, every once in a while, there's probably been like a good, like. Three or four that I just didn't feel I was doing my best. And uh, I don't know. But you know what? You, the good news is, like I told you, every time I feel like it wasn't a great episode, the next time that person shows up, out of the park. Best episode to date.
0: <laughs> so, nice comeback game.
1: Yeah. Um. One thing. One thing I was talking about last week that I, I uh, feel I was fumbling on. Um. So uh. W- we talked actually, uh, we talked a little bit about like all the news sources I, I listened to and stuff uh, yep. after this. And you were like, "Geez, I have no idea how you do that." And uh, really, the answer is, I don't do a great job of it. Is why it's not something anybody could manage. I try to it's listen to, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's maybe like ten. I don't. Well, I don't know. Probably more than that. But uh, the ones that call themselves like actually news, I'd consider my sources for that. I still listen to like other stuff, but yeah, it's. Uh, I try to get like a little bit of uh, all corners of the uh, political spectrum just to hear each person's like tidbits on like a main subject, but really it leads me, leaves me with a lot of like contradictory ideas because I'm always remembering a voice that had like a counter argument for the same subject that I've been trying to build on all week. So I end up viewing it from like a really scattered position from like many sides.
0: Yeah, but you know what, honestly that's not entirely a terrible thing. I mean, because hmm. in real time, you know, you have the counter argument already in your head versus I feel like what we currently see in most like news is just like, this is my lane and I'm going to stick to it. And I'm only going to give you the perspective from this lane. And I'm going to tell you why there's no point in even checking out the other lane because I, I got everything you need right here.
1: Yeah. And when no. you're talking about that uh, that uh, debate uh, channel that you've just been getting involved with, that's one thing I'm concerned with is that I feel uh, I'm maybe not the best debater because I'll, I, I'm, two, I'm two different guys i'm either um i think you're being obstinate so i'm going to get obstinate and start arguing from the other side that i don't even believe in just trying to get you to see that there's another side to the argument and i start saying things i don't even believe in and then the opposite side to me is i understand your argument so i start arguing against myself with you
0: (laughs) well if nothing else that could be just great entertainment first of all yeah because you know like every panel needs a good just you know like wild card so you can just come in and just be the wild card role every week
1: i can definitely handle that because i don't even know what i'm gonna do next (laughs) oh man um oh one thing uh so you you put out a, a great point um last week that you don't like to talk about things that you don't really have like a solid understanding on so uh I did the next best thing and what? Watch me speed run misinformation. <laughs> just rolled through about a 10-minute bit on Israel that was full of just false facts. But um that's that's kind of how I do things too. It seems a little wild card, but you you said you like to put information out there and you're you're concerned with uh, that of your guests. I like to just discredit myself constantly and tell my guests that like you're here for the ride with me and we're going to learn together cuz I don't fucking know.
0: <laughs> you know, something that you said to me in our last talk when I was telling you about my just constant like you know like I guess for lack of a better word kind of I have a little bit of insecurity as a podcast host and I'm thinking about you know just like building my audience so on so forth and the thing you said to me was you know if if your audience you know like trusts you then you have your audience and so you know I I think I kind of always knew that internally but something that I just like don't readily identify. But yeah, you know, my audience's ability to, you know, hear what I have to say uh, in a clear, concise way really matters to me. So, I mean, if I don't know a subject very well that I'm either not going to touch on it fully or I'm going to openly say, hey, I don't know that much about this. I want everyone to know that up front. So, you know, don't take what I'm saying verbatim, you know, like this is my opinion. It's based on a brief amount of knowledge. Please go you know, do your own research after this. Do not let what I'm telling you be the only thing you know about this subject. See,
1: I I, I I do that too. I do the disclaimer, but it's not always there. And if you jump in at the wrong time, I sound very confident in my position. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, it can lead to issues, but uh, I I don't know. Like, uh, well, talking about that one that we tried to tackle last week. I mean, have you looked any more into it? There's been so much going on in the past two weeks with Israel. I mean, I assume you've been... Somewhat bombarded, yeah. at least through a Twitter yeah. feed.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it definitely seems like, you know, I mean, the, the one thing I don't know that much about, and I've been having a, you know, just a, a really hard time figuring out the particulars of it, is what exactly, you know, Hamas has been doing to the people of Palestine. Uh, because that's seen.
2: Oh,
1: you there? Oh connection issues okay we're gonna solve this we're gonna be right back okay sorry about that uh internet dropped out don't know what happened you were saying you're not sure about what the people of uh, or what Hamas is doing to um
0: the uh the people there or the people of Palestine yeah I mean you know there's there's so many different things to consider going on you know in this con you know like. I don't even know you're not supposed to say the word conflict. Uh, that's, there's oh, so that's many things a thing? going on. I don't
1: even know. You can't say conflict? No, this is, this is just apartheid? That's, it's...
0: I, I don't know. Okay. You know, sometimes I don't always try to understand the rules. You know, I just I just like think in my mind, do they bother me or not? This one, this one obviously does Oh, if I so. don't know why the rules there it bothers me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, when it comes to, you know, Israel and Palestine, I just, I, I like to know all the different pieces of the puzzle uh before especially when it comes to something happening in a foreign country um because just from an outside perspective you know Israel has its views on what it's doing and then Palestine has its views on what it's doing and it seemed pretty clear to me through all the different research that I was doing that you know obviously you know Palestine you know in the you know basically Hamas rather this governing body over Palestine you know is doing some barbaric things but I guess if you were trying to like you know, make their, you know, like uh, show the what exactly is Israel doing versus what Palestine is doing, it made it more sense to me that Israel was more of the aggressor, you know, just from what I've seen. But I guess at the same time, I also am wondering, how exactly is an organization like Hamas actually in control of Palestine? And what exactly do they do to the governing, like as a governing body to the people of Palestine every single day? And what exactly, you know, What kind of repercussions is that having in this conflict more or less
1: um so so just questions that
0: i don't have answers to mostly
1: yeah no no i I completely understand that my my last guest has actually um he had been there uh to gaza and um he he was saying kind of like on the ground you'd expect people to be like irritated and stuff and all these things he's like there's a few people like the like some of the people in hamas who are still like irritated enough to do something about it but the average citizen out there is just completely given up They're like what are you gonna do like yeah, Israel's going to bomb us anytime Hamas does anything. And Hamas kind of feels like the only guy who's willing to fight for maybe it not happening. So, so it like it's just kind of a general malaise down there. Like, I don't know. Yeah, well, from what I've
0: seen, it feels like the rest of the of the countries in the region have basically also given up trying to support Palestine, whether it's Jordan, you know, Syria, I mean, what's left of Syria, Egypt, Lebanon, you know all of these other arabic nations they seem to have mostly just kind of given up even voicing support for palestine
1: how how well i mean voicing i guess is something you could do but what's what's the point when they're landlocked like what are you gonna do you're essentially uh, making your relationship with israel if you've ever liked to maintain one worse and you can't do anything it's hopeless from outside and inside
0: yeah no i mean you're absolutely right about that i mean i guess the only like tool that you really do have at this point is economic You know you could not support israeli businesses you could not support israeli you know just like economic trade i mean just basically that that's the only leverage that really anyone has especially when you're talking about i mean obviously you don't want to have there be any kind of military intervention and that's not fair to the people of israel who you know have no control over what their government's doing as far as you know their government throwing people out throwing palestinians out into the street evicting them you know like the you know, ordering their police to harass civilians inside of mosques. I mean, you know, the the everyday person living in Israel has no say over that. So they shouldn't have to feel repercussions. I mean, from this kind of from this from this problem. I mean, honestly, when I look at this, this just, I'm not a big fan of this, you know, the UN, uh, you know, just like stepping in and saying what you know like certain countries should do and shouldn't do but if there was ever a reason for their existence this might be it i mean just to to just go in there and just figure something out but
1: yeah but it uh, i mean it kind of seems like it's at a point with a lot of the forces that are going against each other like i'm talking like you know not the average civilian in palestine hamas not the average civilian in uh, israel or maybe um uh, the uh, United States Jewish person that has uh, Israeli citizenship or something, uh, not 100% of those people, and I don't even know if it's the vast majority, Um, really 100% like support what they're doing. It seems like even within Israel, it's not like a maximized support. It seems like on both sides, it's a select few pushing the conflict back and forth, but everybody else yeah. is just kind of caught up in it, which I mean would be like almost any war. So why why wouldn't it be this one?
0: yeah Yeah, i mean we see that same thing here in america right whenever it comes to political conversations i mean it seems like it's always more or less just the few loud voices on both sides than everybody else who's just trying to figure out how to navigate it
2: yeah
1: and i mean really you look at israel and you look at like i mean regardless if there's rockets flying over the iron dome's taking care of the majority of it and it's it's like you see these guys coming in, walking through houses, everyone strapped with like a hundred thousand dollars worth of equipment on their body, just pulling people out of their houses in rags. Like it just it just doesn't it doesn't feel good. But then you zoom out further on the map, and you see all of the way from like where Africa starts to round off to like midway to the top of the continent, all the way to Indonesia and the whole thing, Islamic territory. And this little dot that you can't even see on that map is Israel, and. Yeah, it, it like I I get that side of it, too. It it does seem a little like, oh, you think you think we're surrounding Palestine? We're surrounded everywhere from uh, people who'd like to see the Jewish people gone. But I also don't 100 percent buy that, that all the Islamic community wants to see Israel gone. So I don't know if that holds up.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's not exactly it's not a, it's a black and white issue. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the issues that we all as people have and wherever we're trying to dissect conversations like this, we want to turn every conversation, you know, especially politically into a binary, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's like it's this or that, but these conversations are never that straightforward. They're never that simple. And I think that's the reason why so many people don't even like having them because they do Mm. involve very complex solutions. You're not going to just, you know, say like, oh, well, Israel's government's obviously terrible. So we just got to like, we just can't like Israel anymore. It's like, well, no, that's not the solution. It's like, oh, well, Hamas, you know, controls Palestine. So obviously Israel's allowed to defend itself. It's like, uh, no, that's not the solution here. So, but yeah, it, it's never as simple as just that, but, you know, and I, I hate to also like say what I'm about to say, but, you know, the, the Jewish people are not the only people who have this kind of unique situation where they're kind of, you know, more or less, they, have only one spot in the world that they can call their own. I mean, that's the, that's the case for a lot of different cultures, Mm. you know, in our world. I mean, in fact, there are still cultures that have no state, you know, like the Kurds, for instance, who were supposed to, you know, have territory in both Iraq and Syria and are still basically nomads, Mm. you know, wandering between those two countries.
1: Yeah. I mean... Really, the, the the final nail in the coffin, which puts me on the side of Palestine at the end of everything, though, is realizing that the main concern is there's no Jewish state in the world. But for the amount of funding other countries put into putting the Jewish state in one of the most divisive places for no other purpose than the book said it, like it's kind of fanaticism. Jerusalem. at a, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it just comes down to that. I, I'm like we could probably build a twice as big Israel in like the middle of Oklahoma for way less money than it costs to keep them supported out there. So it seems like it only comes down to which I'm pretty sure the book recommended you don't try to take God's will into your own hands. So it seems pretty weird to just like, you know, get together with a bunch of like Zionists from, let's be honest, both sides. This wasn't just Jewish people who wanted a state. There was also a lot of Europeans who were like, it'd be great if the Jews were gone. And um, like, yeah, it was kind of like a unified movement in Europe. Prior to World War II, with obviously the sentiment that was building towards what happened in World War II, and then post-World War II from both sides still. Like, there was people who wanted to see the Jewish people gone, and the Jewish people wanted a safe place to go. So, yeah, it wasn't entirely just like, I don't know. It, 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 it's definitely complicated, but it, it just seems like a weird place. And then you have... Obviously not a huge portion, but you have like the Christian backing because like a lot of the arguments, like I have a hard time hearing the Israel argument that doesn't eventually end in it from a conservative person, like kind of referencing the Bible a little or at least one of the books.
0: And I'm like, uh, I don't know. I don't go for that. You know, I had a friend who I knew here who, you know, know, got his degree in political science and the one thing he told me was he like he thought like you know the best case solution in my mind is that you would take the area that is israel and you basically you know obviously do the two state solution which has been talked about but you literally take the whole entire city of jerusalem and you annex that and just put the un capital there and say that this city actually belongs to everyone in the world not just one nation
1: i mean that sounds like a much better solution. Like, and that's the thing is, I hear things that sound like better plans than what's going on. And I'm wondering why that's not happening. And it seems like because the preferred solution would be um, a permanent genocide of the opposite group.
0: <laughs> One side has power and they don't yeah. see a reason to give it up. So they're not going to. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I gotta say in a very in really like side subject here, I, I want to point out, because this is going to come up again, I think in the future, is that the Iron Dome, yeah. right this is not an overly sophisticated missile defense system yeah, and but it's still a decent one and it knocks out what like 90 percent or more of all the rockets that get shot at by hamas
1: i think it's above 90 but 90 would above be 90. i think 10 percent's the high threshold on what they miss
0: i want everyone to remember the fact that israel has this and i want everyone to also understand that america has similar missile defense systems and that we have better ones. And Hamas is firing rockets from Gaza into Israel. Meanwhile, we are going to at some point in time in the future go back into the uh place where we are afraid of North Korea firing missiles to America, you know, when they have to would have to fire them all the way across the Pacific Ocean.
1: Yeah, I, I know it's uh it's, so it's a I little just, bit of a daunting you know, test. Very,
0: very yeah. side note, but I've always been blown away by how much fear mongering we we do as a nation saying about how afraid we should be that North Korea could hit us with a missile from North Korea when they'd have to travel across the entire Pacific Ocean. And it it just seems damn near impossible, Uh, especially since the fact that we have these missile defense programs actually not only in the U.S., but we have them in Japan and South Korea. So it's like it would never even leave the peninsula.
1: Yeah, I guess the argument would be uh, why we're worried about North Korea. When they're firing them over into the Pacific, they go away. But once they have the technology and it's accurate enough, they would go after our ally South Korea so that that's would, true, yeah.
0: but you gotta think that if they ever fired one, we'd probably just fire one
1: yeah no i i I still stand by the the nuke yeah. like uh I mean the first time it went off was horrible, but after it was on display for the world, I think it's been the number one thing at reducing like actual global like that's why we haven't gone to an actual full-out world war three since then the nuke has kind of protected that it's like it's all or nothing at this point so now we play proxy war
0: basically yeah and so i i think the point that i was basically just trying to say was you know i I, whenever these conversations seem to come up like every couple of years we're talking about iran or talking about north korea i just feel like it's overly dramatized and there's not enough context added in like the american homeland's being under threat of a nuclear attack from a from a nation like Iran or North Korea is damn near non-existent. I, I mean, it'd be like less than one percent, honestly.
2: Yeah,
1: so it's it's kind of ridiculous when we just keep touting out our boogie bands. And I mean, a similar thing to Iran's capability of ever doing anything, it's 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 really low. And the best you have to go on is, well, do you really want religious fanatics having that? Okay, well, guess what? Other religious fanatics have a nuclear program they shouldn't have. <laughs> yeah and we give them a lot of money to keep going so
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you know it's it's entirely true at, yeah. at, at the end of the day like you were saying i mean no i mean i don't think anyone's ever going to really use these things i mean because yeah. i mean what russia has hundreds of them china has hundreds of them india india yeah. has hundreds of nukes like it's just that's random but anyway yeah. sorry oh well, i random was gonna say there's
1: an economic argument though uh on on the uh, israeli thing though the or i'm sorry the the economic argument is um, so the amount of money we give them is actually it sounds like a lot of money but for our overall budget you know if if uh you don't believe that uh i it's a small it's a, it's a it's a drop in the bucket for us okay and then strategically they offer a lot more stability for the region i got big air quotes here um, so so that's that's the argument is that we need Israel more than they need us, even though it appears they don't do very much for us. We fight a lot of wars that they want, but stuff that doesn't really seem to benefit us. So, uh, yeah, yeah.
0: it's it's still it's still pretty weird because, you know, we're not like we're not paying, you know, Argentina for keeping stability in South America yeah. and we're not paying, you know, a country like uh, like Rwanda. For their new economic found stability that they're having over in eastern Africa, you know, so it's it, it's like, you know, what exactly is is the goal there? like why give money to Israel because like, oh, well, they're creating harmony in the Middle East, like are they and why do we care about that?
1: Well, then go to our competitors, though. And the thing is, Israel doesn't really give a shit about us. We're just the best guy to be friends with right now. But the second we stop handing over that money, they're just as comfortable making friends with, say, Russia or China. China. And so Yeah, they'd be gone in a heartbeat. So paying them is the only thing that keeps them on our side, which would lead China or Russia to have more of a foothold in the area. So really, it's just all about that global economic stranglehold that we have on the world. I don't think it boils down to anything other than that. Even like the religious fanaticisms, like kind of in the background, it's really about the money.
0: Yeah, no, it it definitely it definitely seems odd to me. And we had that conversation last time. But yeah, I mean, I think there's much better ways to spend four billion dollars every year.
1: Yeah. And, uh, I mean, yeah, like basically where I'm at with it is while they're a good ally, the only other backup other than it, like possibly being a good strategic blockade against, uh, Russia and China, which I, I, I don't know. Like there's some, there's some neocons out there who say I'm an idiot and you need to be aggressive on this shit and you need to maintain your place in the world where China just takes over in the end. I don't really buy those arguments uh, we have a missile defense system uh, we could be investing more money to make sure that doesn't happen and to make our way of life better and more appealing to the rest of the world instead of you know hey we gotta pay this group to keep dropping bombs or somebody else will like i, I don't know it, it doesn't seem like a good argument you're right we could we could spend better money in our own country and i just i don't see the i don't see the benefit we're, we're fighting more wars that are more important to them for the benefit of having them as a friend and
0: yeah. It's just, it's a bad investment all around. Yeah. Honestly. That's how I, see I it. mean, you know, there's so many things in this country that could use that funding to improve our standing in the world. Yeah. You know, I mean, just bring that money home.
2: Yeah, seriously. That's, Yeah.
0: That's my, that's my big thing. Just bring that money home. We need it here. I mean, there's things that we could be doing here in order to be creating the right environment for us to be this this maintained superpower I mean especially you know the, the thing that drives me the most insane and i I, w- I would love to get your opinion about this I know that you got another question for me but like yeah don't worry about you it. know w- <laughs> we have so much like just gridlock in our country you know especially in the Senate or we're like we just barely get anything done on a yearly basis mm. and you know I don't think that i we should ever have something like a communism come to this country the way that china has imposed over its country Mm -hmm. but there's no denying the fact that they're doing circles around us right now as far as you know like how they are advancing themselves within their own country how they're exporting their influence into other countries and meanwhile we're just sitting here chilling and it feels like nobody really understands just how far behind we're getting bring that money back home so that we can invest into ourselves and prop this economy back up the way it should be
1: And my conspiratorial brain goes towards, it seems so dead obvious to me and you that these people at the top must not care. Like they, they, it seems like they're selling us out.
0: (laughs) I mean, I, I don't know what the motivation is, but I understand completely what you're saying. Because it's like, if the average everyday person can see it, then there's no way that these people don't see it because we like to believe that the people in Washington are these dumb morons who have no idea what they're doing. Mm. I have always felt the opposite. I think they know exactly what they're doing. I just can't figure out who exactly is paying them to do these things. I know.
1: Like I was just watching, Um, it was an old video, but it was on climate change. And uh, the you remember that guy like brought a snowball in and he's like, global warming, over, found a snowball. This <laughs> is <So> a while <like>, ago. <laughs> But I'm like, not even, I don't even believe him as an elected official could ever really believe that. I feel like he represents people who could.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You know, the thing about it is, is that individual elected officials may not be the smartest people in the world, Mm -hmm. but they have teams of people around them who write the speeches for them, who do the research, who draft legislation, who have to liaison with people around the country and the private sector and with other like other diplomats around the world so i mean like those people they're the intelligent ones like i don't believe for a second that a single bill that got passed in the trump administration was written by donald trump Never. It doesn't mean that he didn't have people working for him who were drafting these pieces of legislation same mm. thing with obama and so forth and so forth so i mean like these people in washington they have The tools that are disposable to have all the information present so it's not that when they say and do these dumb things it's not because they don't have the access to know better
1: yeah yeah i hear you on that it's i'd even hope the people surrounding them know better but like i I really i really wonder what it really comes down to because i I don't know it it doesn't seem like anything's being run the correct way and maybe it's just there's so many opposing views that it's, it's hard to get anything done but it always seems to churn in one direction that uh, keeps the people who already have money with more money.
0: <laughs> that seems to be the direction that it's meant to churn in. You know, it, it seems to me, you know, if I had to guess, if I'm mm-hmm. just a guess, right. But it seems to me that Washington is just the place where rich people can buy influence mm-hmm. and then certain rich people, happen to have bought stock in the Democratic Party like they're like its like they're a trade option
2: mm-hmm.
0: and then other billionaires have bought stock in the Republicans and then some billionaires are smart enough to buy stock into both yeah and the rest of us are kind of wondering why the politicians aren't working for us but the fact of the matter is, is that we're not giving any money to their reelection campaigns more yeah. or less or their lobbying efforts I don't know man I, I don't think we're gonna solve that today. <laughs> No, no, I I don't think we're gonna solve it today. But I I do think that it's important that everyone knows what's happening. Yeah, because I feel like, you know, unfortunately, there's still enough people out there who believe that, you know, the things that are happening in Washington are, you know, legitimate, you know, disagreements. It's like, no, not really.
1: Yeah. And like, just, I mean, you see it, like, I, I forget who it was. Um, it was Kamala Harris. And, uh, I think Newt Gingrich, though, like they're all mad at each other like 10 minutes ago, and then they're shaking hands and smiling right after, like, you know, the the broadcast goes off, but the cameras are still on. Like, <laughs> the, the yeah, videos right. have come out. Like, I mean, like, you see it. They put on the theater performance, and then they all go and they pad the pockets of the people that really elected them.
0: Yeah. And honestly, you know, I don't know how you feel uh, about uh, Bernie Sanders particularly. But that was one of the reasons why I gravitated towards him was mm. because after spending years watching politicians, I felt like that was somebody who it seemed to me legitimately actually cared about the things that he said he cared about, you know, whether or not I believed in every single thing that he said, it, honestly, after, at a certain point, it just didn't matter to me. I was just so happy to finally see someone who actually seemed to truly give a shit, which I was like, oh, wow like that actually still exists or like, that's, that's amazing. Oh my God. Well, I find
1: it funny that, you know, by the time everybody heard of him, he uh, heard of him, he'd already been doing, he'd already been there with the ability to, you know, I, I be, get, put these things out on a platform louder. But for some reason, I, I didn't hear from him until 2012, I believe was the first time 2011, I guess would have been like the run up to it. But like, I hadn't heard a word out of him. What is, he's been, he's been involved for what, like 30 years.
0: Uh, It looks like since the 80s, yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, Do you still feel the same way about him, or have you changed your perspective in the past two elections and everything in between?
0: Personally, for me, I, I think that what I was doing in the beginning with him was I thought that if he got elected, that he could bring about some of the changes that he was constantly preaching about. But what I've, kind of, what I've realized over time is that someone like him, his goal in our political discourse, um, from my opinion, is not really to get into Washington and create policies because the way that Washington's like structured, one politician can't do that. But more or less, what you're trying to do as somebody in his position is you're trying to shift the national conversation. You know, essentially like shifting what we call like what? The Overton window? Yes. And so – I think that that's probably the biggest impact that he has on our political like uh situation and I think me viewing it from that lens I I accept who he is in our politics versus thinking of him as somebody who oh he's gonna go into Washington and get x y and z done it's like no but he has by consistently saying the same things over and over again to his large audience he has shifted the conversation which then in turn pushed everybody else to ask their politicians to get on board with these things, which has taken all the conversations and moved them into that direction.
1: Well, I'll give you that. He definitely served that purpose of changing the conversation. But I think to a lot of other people, he was a lot more than that, and that he was somebody who was running seriously to get put into the White House. And it seemed like while he was cheated several times because more people wanted him, it seemed like there were several things in place to cheat him out of the nomination And it just doesn't seem like he was pissed enough for me. Like, it seemed like almost like, yep, fine. That's the way things work. Like whether he didn't really want to go out there, he didn't make it sound like that wasn't what he wanted to his followers. And he kind of rolled over at the first opportunity. It seemed like from an outside perspective, like he was like, okay, that's Joe and Hillary. Bye.
0: You're not wrong. And I was definitely one of those people. And I was one of those people for months. And I think when I eventually like, Stopped getting really pissed off about it. What I started to like think to myself was, you know, if you are in this position, and you have spent decades trying to push, let's just call it what it is, it's an agenda. You're trying to push an agenda. You've been trying to push it for for months. I'm sorry, for decades now, and you realize that the entire media apparatus is against you in every way, shape, and form. You know, every single thing you say and do can either you know add to your success or detract from it and so if you make the calculation in your head that reacting in this negative way is going to be a net negative for your movement you know maybe he truly believed that you know maybe he thought to himself that like yeah i want to yell and scream and talk about how ridiculous this all is but what if that backfires what if it's not worth it what if me just maintaining this course is still getting us to where I want us to be, which is moving all these conversations left. So, I mean, I'm giving him a supreme benefit of the doubt in this moment. I understand that. But I guess I was trying to put myself into somebody else's shoes because I know me, if it was me, I would have started going, I would started acting crazy, you <laughs> know, but, you know, maybe there's a, maybe the way he's handling it was the better way to go. Who's, who's to say, who knows?
1: Well, I I take that in 2012. I think that worked the first time. Like that, that would have been acceptable, and that's why so many people were still willing to vote for him in 2016. I, I completely agree with you there. You don't know what the guy's going through. Um, what looks 2016 worse? 2016
0: and 2020. Oh, 2016,
1: 2020. You're right. Thank you. Um, yeah. <laughs> so all right. So 2016. Um, you have Bernie Sanders and. That that's the one that I'm saying uh, follows what you're saying, where you don't know what he's going through. Uh, he's got the entire Bernie bro um, in the background, that whole, like, smear they were trying to do. Make And, I mean, it wasn't 100% a smear. There was a lot of aggressive Bernie fans on the Internet letting you know every time you were wrong and uh, loud. And, um, yeah, so it, it it left kind of a negative context that I think he was trying to separate himself from. The thing is, that energy was almost justified in the second time with how they got screwed. So I think listening to that voice and being pissed then might have made more sense because, I mean, whether or not, like, you're like, oh, well, what could pish his career to keep going and keep spreading this message? It's over. That's his last election, okay? He's got a few more chances to be senator or whatever. He probably will. But his opportunity to be the loudest voice, that that boat has sailed. And he let it sail on the second time. Or both times, but the second time seemed more egregious to me.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I definitely wanted him to fight. But, you know, if I'm putting myself into his shoes, you know, again, like just a year ago, you know, we're talking about summer of 2020 leading up to an election against Donald Trump. I mean, maybe he thought to himself that if he got too like wild, that it would keep too many people home. And obviously they needed every single vote to defeat Donald Trump because I mean, yeah, you, you reverse 45,000 votes and Trump's the president right now. So, I mean, it's yeah i don't know maybe maybe it was the best decision who knows but yeah yeah, i mean i definitely would have liked to see him fight more and also there's a side you know like piece of this conversation here you know in october this past year i mean not this past year but in 2019 guy had a heart attack yeah i mean maybe he just literally was worried about his health and was like you know what maybe i just need to just fucking relax
1: yeah you know i know he did yeah that did happen right at the height of things he's, honestly
0: yeah he's he's 78 years old he had a heart attack it's like you know maybe you got. what was hillary
1: him? on that day what was hillary
0: <laughs>
2: anyway
1: yeah
0: yeah you know not the weirdest thing in the world for 77 year old guy to have a heart attack
1: but... yeah i don't know look into it <laughs>
0: Yeah. So, but that—that's—that's that's basically where I land on this thing. I, I guess I, I like him, so I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. So, obviously, what I'm saying to everyone here is I'm biased. Yeah. Hey. Fair
1: enough. Uh, glad you admit it. Uh, I, no, but I, I see yours as a very fair perspective. I, I think that's very measured. Um, I'm coming from a side where I went from not liking Bernie to being like, okay, I get Bernie. To just like, well, I wasn't ever fully in support of him. You guys really ever like him? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't my guy, but obviously I come from a very different perspective where, uh, you know, economically that, that dude just doesn't jive for me.
0: Right. Right. And honestly, yeah. if you listen to the first, like season of my podcast and you know, back to shameless plugs, um, <laughs> I spent like the first, I think month doing nothing, but talking about, no, not in the first month. I spent the first like 20 episodes of my podcast covering the primary season mm-hmm. and including in which was the Iowa caucus where I spent like about 20 minutes breaking down how, I mean, I didn't flat out call it rigged, but I mean, I wanted to, because I mean, you had, Oh God, that was just, the whole thing was just so dumb. I mean, Mm. first of all, let me, let me go on a small rant here for a second. No, I love it. Democratic party spent all of its time between 2016 and 2020 like relentlessly hammering home the popular vote, the popular vote, the popular vote. Just just talking it to death, the popular vote, right? And then how like, oh, the electoral college didn't to get away with it. We can transition to that here in a second. And the oh, Iowa yeah. caucus, they reformatted how the votes were counted, which is the first contest, the primary season, mm-hmm. so that it wasn't actually a popular vote number, but rather that there were certain like areas in Iowa that had that, where their voters had more weight than other voters. So instead of it just being an up and down one-to-one vote, it was actually people in rural areas had more power, had more weight in their votes than people in urban areas in Iowa. And so for that reason, Pete Buttigieg was able to beat Bernie Sanders in that first caucus by 0.1%. Coincidentally. Mm. And all I could think to myself was, where's all the goddamn outrage about the popular vote? Because isn't this exactly what you claim is wrong with the Electoral College, giving power to the rural, area of Amer- rural areas versus urban areas? Like not having it be a one-to-one vote is just like one side has more power than the other. So you know, I was kind of just like rolling my eyes hard because obviously no one in the media is going to give that kind of credence to what was happening in Iowa, and that just annoyed the hell out of me mm. because you, you, there's just no reason how you can have that level of hypocrisy and no one's going to check you on it. Of course.
1: Um, so we can roll right into the uh, the electoral college thing. You already hinted at that. I I, I just wanted to get your take on uh, how you feel about it. I think I already got like a little hint there, but um, I, I was trying to bring up the quote. Let me see if I can get it today. Uh, uh, I can't. I should have brought this up earlier. It was an Obama quote. I don't know. You know what the gist of it? He don't like Electoral College. There
0: we go. So how do you feel about Electoral College? Um, I both like it and dislike it at the same time. I'm pretty conflicted on it, honestly. I, I touched on it last year in an episode that I did called Does Voting Matter? Mm-hmm. And on one hand, I like the popular votes because it does, in fact, like, ask you to basically campaign everywhere. But at the same time, it also limits you to only campaigning basically in major cities. And I I almost feel like it would actually take the current issue that we have with our voting and actually make it worse. Because instead of uh, politicians going to all these different states they're going to right now, you would rather have politicians basically just go to every major metropolitan area and then that would be about the end of it Yeah. and so you're basically just asking politicians like yeah i go to la you know chicago new york you know houston you know miami and then just call it a day exactly and i i, I don't like that but at the same time the electoral college just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense um particularly you know because of the fact that you know like you have like certain states where just like how the how their how their electoral votes are racked up against other states' electoral votes just doesn't really make any sense when you do that math outright. And obviously, everyone's had the, heard those examples comparing Wyoming and California. We don't need to rehash that. But I, I think one of the options that I heard about when I was looking um, through some of the different proposals that were brought up to replace the electoral college, the one that I liked a lot was the proportionality voting, where uh, basically, instead of having every state be a winner take all, there would be a proportion of every state. Mm. So if you were to get 40% of the vote in Texas, but obviously you would lose in this current format, but instead, you know, one candidate would get 60% of the electoral votes and the other candidate would get 40 percent of the electoral votes. And you know, obviously that's true for every single state. So thereby you're incentivizing, republicans to go to every state you know including states like california you're incentivizing democrats to go to every state including you know a place like texas mississippi louisiana and so basically every state has a legit you know just um reason to get out and vote versus like oh i'm a democrat in mississippi there's no point of me showing up or oh i'm a republican in oregon what am i even doing here let, let me move to idaho really quick that's a different mm-hmm. story um but yeah i i think that that personally would be the best case solution so that therefore it feels like everyone has a reason to show up on election day versus the whole like oh well if i don't live in one of these 15 battleground states, then my vote doesn't matter
1: no seriously i'm i'm um kind of with uh conservatives in my area right because i told you i'm from massachusetts yeah i kind of get like embarrassed for them on election day because like, I, I personally, what I do with my vote in this state, I do the only thing that I feel makes sense because, like you said, there's no point in voting blue in Mississippi. There's no point in voting red in Massachusetts. The thing I do is I vote third party to try to just bolster the size of a third party, right? Because if a third party gets 5% by the current rules, believe me, they'll change them right at 4.5%. But, um, yeah, they uh, the third party has the best standing of... Really disrupting the system because at 5%, you then get federal funding and you're a permanent third party in the United States. And currently our third biggest party, uh, 2016, I believe, got like 3.6%. So we're not far off. And they've only been around since the 60s with, you know, like a freaking 150-year lead from these other two parties. Like,
0: it's... I feel for the libertarians in the sense (laughs) that they've been around for a long time and it feels like they've never actually... Gained a whole lot of momentum. Uh, I mean, and and I think that a lot of that is just honestly, it's I think it's lack of organizing to be 100%. It's it's an individualist movement. How are we supposed to do that? (laughs) I mean, someone has to be a leader. I mean, I know that Gary Johnson was out there for the longest time, like, you know, running. (laughs) I mean, as the as the leader, but yeah. I mean, somebody asked. Oh, oh
1: whoa, whoa, whoa! Definitely there. not the leader of the thought. He uh, he was a candidate. Fuck. Okay,
0: well, I don't. I don't, I don't know, agree with
1: Gary Johnson. Leader, he, that but, campaign, you know what that campaign was? Why it was so successful is they were like, "What if we get like a kind of libertarian Republican and just try to appeal to Republicans?" That's what Gary Johnson was about. Like, that's not libertarian. That's that's a different guy.
2: <laughs> kind of. Yeah, but yeah. you know,
0: my thing was like, you know, basically what I just said. Though, I mean, how hard would it be for libertarians to kind of? Just go into all of these, you know, dominant mm-hmm. blue and red states, and just be like, "Hey, you know, do you think your vote matters in this state?" Maybe try to th- vote. Th- I mean, like, it, it couldn't be too hard. I mean, especially for people like you know, you and your situation, mm-hmm. being someone who's on the right in a blue state. There's there's millions of people like you. Mm-hmm. It, it shouldn't be too hard to get that five percent. But there's just a lack of organization there. I remember looking back at the pr- uh, previous elections and just seeing like, libertarians have been on the ballot every single election going back into like the eighties and the seventies. And it's been a consistent, like 1.5%, 2%, 2%, 2%, 2%. I'm just like, it's, it, I mean, it's trending up and down and up and down and up and down, but there's no real like thorough uptrend. It's very like, small, the but there is, it, there's the a little upward blip, trend. <laughs> the occasional upward <laughs> blip, but like, it went back down in 2020 for
1: instance it did go back down to 2020 but that there's very specific reasons behind that okay gary John, like it's about our candidates and that's why i'm actually super excited with the way you're putting it right now because i'm i'm super excited for 2024. this is probably going to be a big election for the libertarian party what happened in 2020 okay or uh, let's go what happened in 2016. gary johnson happened why because he got all over TV and he got one of, like, you know, Joe Rogan's talking about him saying, oh, he makes sense and stuff. I mean, you know, then, then he moves over within four years over to Bernie Sanders. So, like, Joe Rogan kind of, he just likes whatever he's hearing at the time. Anyway, um, but he uh, you got Gary Johnson who kind of sets himself up as an outside option. Not exactly a Republican, but close enough that Republicans feel like they have somewhere to go. And he gets all over television. Why? Because... The votes are mostly going to come out of Donald Trump's pocket, not out of Hillary's. So they allow him to be on television. In 2020, they banned JoJo from everything. Like, she qualified just as much as uh, Gary Johnson and got no TV appearances. She wasn't allowed at the debates. They changed the rules to keep her out of them. There was a whole movement called uh, Let Her Speak where they were trying to get her in there. She was completely blocked out because... Gary Johnson didn't really go the way they planned last time. So they said, let's get this out of the way because the Green Party damaged the Democratic Party more than Libertarian Party damaged the Republican Party. So they said, get rid of both of them and uh, flushed it down the drain. But because of that, Joe, Joe, Joe also just had one of the worst and and not, um, not Gary Johnson, the um, Joe Jorgensen. She had one of just she had horrible messaging. And as the Libertarian candidate, you're you're not going to win. Your only thing is messaging and representing the message of liberty well. She didn't do a fantastic job in a lot of people's ideas. She came from kind of what's a dying part of the liberty movement. Like, the majority of the Libertarian Party has been formed in the past three years. There's right now a takeover kind of going over with uh, one of the caucuses, the Mises Caucus. They're like about 30% of recruits this year, right? And they just put up a blockade because they were going to take over the party, essentially. They were going to be like the new leading caucus and kind of running the party somewhat more, they did their last ditch effort, which is made specifically to block a hostile takeover of the party. This is what it's for. So it's not a big deal. A lot of people are pissed They're like they're rigging it. They're never going to let us in. And the main guy who's pushing this stuff just kind of said, no, no guys, this means we win in six months. They use their last ditch effort. We did it. We took over the party. So I think you might see out of the next upcoming candidate, a lot more movement in the party than you have in any other year, because this is the first guy who actually knows what he's talking about. He didn't want it. He didn't want to be the guy, but people just kept saying, come on, do it. He's like, no, it's not me. I just kind of know what I'm talking about. And then finally, uh, he goes on Rogan a few months ago and he goes, Joe's like, you know, you, you seem to know what you're talking about. Why don't you be the guy? He goes, I think I'm going to have to at this point.
0: <laughs> Look, I have nothing against us having a third party. Honestly, mm-hmm. if if I had it, if I could print the ideal situation, I'd say we have at least five Yeah, personally. Uh, but I, again, you know, I don't want to you know like play like overly like big cheerleader here but i was really impressed with how like Stacey abrams for instance was able to get so many people activated mm-hmm. in a state like georgia i don't think what she did was super unique in the sense that like only she could do it i mm. think that that can be done in several different ways for several different groups and i just feel like people just really aren't utilizing their organizational abilities mm. i mean how hard would it be for the Green Party for the libertarian Party for those two parties specifically to go into states like you know Mississippi Alabama you know and be like hey your votes aren't really gonna matter that much but if we get five percent we get federal funding mm-hmm. so like if you want to like break up this two-party idea like let me get your votes and then go into states like Hawaii and Washington State and be like hey, you know, this state's going blue no matter what. Like, how about just like 20,000 of you? I mean, like, and you can leverage the internet, yeah. you know, like targeted YouTube videos, targeted social media ads. I mean, th- this can't be that undoable. I mean, especially when you only need 5%. So it's like, well, funny I, enough,
1: I just, I, you're describing yeah. what they've been doing the entire time. They have kind of been this unified gray bottom of the pile just generally anti-authoritarian kind of leftist kind of rightist messaging that like really was wishy-washy in a sense where they're like come on we're all like we're a big family everybody come in you don't like the other two guys come do it there wasn't really like you're saying that unified message you know
0: so, right but yeah. let me tell you what they're doing wrong what they should do slightly differently when they run they run saying that they're trying to become president yeah okay Now, let me let me say here's a slight difference here. Obviously, you're running for president, but just be real with people say like, look, I'm not going to win. I'm not trying to win here. I'm trying to get five percent. You know, honestly, Mm. if someone came to me and said, listen, I don't think I'm going to win, but I want to get that five percent to help out our party going forward. I'd be more likely to vote for someone who said that than versus being like, will you vote for me for president? I'm just like, man, you got no chance to win. But if you were just change your messaging and be like, I'm not trying to win. I'm trying to get five percent. I bet you you'd probably change some people's minds.
1: Yeah, and I think that there, there could be room for that, but what they're going after now, and I think this might be the strategy that's going to win because it feels like the, like the traction's there, the numbers are showing up, is they are not, like, generally anti-establishment. They're not just going for that vibe anymore and then kind of... Because, uh, I mean, honestly, a lot of the messaging out of, the, like, the Libertarian Party has been more, like, just socially left-wing and just kind of, like, vague and just, like, basic things, like... I, I don't know. They sound like they, they sound like some of the shitty platitudes that the Democratic Party like throws out. But like, that's it. Like, they don't even have anything going for them. Like, the Democratic Party is at least going to get elected with those platitudes. Like, they're just like saying things that other people already say, and it just seems ridiculous. Now you have got a guy who's coming in with more of like core, like the libertarian economics and stuff, and like really like focused on the things that matter, and is pushing out a lot of the things that have distracted libertarian party from being organized. And where the who the demographic they're going after though is. There's a ton of people out there who agree with this message and the message hasn't been available so they're putting that message on the platform now and a lot of the people are resonating with it who just weren't voting at all it's like a message that wasn't even available so rather than appealing to people who might vote they're appealing to people who would have never voted
0: there's that's the biggest block of voters mm-hmm. in our country that's why the i non-voter. think that it might win yeah yeah i mean what was it i I, didn't, I haven't seen the numbers from 2020 yet but i know that what was it like uh in in 2016 i believe there was like what seventy million people who were eligible to vote who didn't vote? No, I'm sorry. Wait, there higher. was over a hundred million people. Yeah, it had did, to be like a could... buck fifty. Yeah, there was over a hundred million people who could have voted who didn't vote in 2016. I'm like, that is a staggering number. Yeah, you know, that's a staggering number. So I mean, like, those are people. I mean, people who don't vote usually fall into one of two camps: either they truly do not give a shit, or they have given up. Mm you know?
1: Yeah, no, it, it is that. And uh, yeah, I guess the, I guess that's who they're reaching out to, is the people who've given up. They're trying to like send a message out like, hey, it's back on. Like, because almost all the energy, like, you're, you're saying, hey, they went down this year, but you know what? It's still the second highest libertarian turnout for a lackluster candidate. Like, I mean, I don't want to just trash her here. She did her best. It's just more of the traditional messaging that she had grown up in, and it feels like the party's having a pivot right now. So, it it was kind of like it's still the second best of all time. And that just shows that the people are now willing to show up, even if it's not that great. You know what I'm saying? Like, like Gary Johnson, I think was a slightly better candidate than there was her. But now I think we're going to have a way better, like Gary Johnson was a half-assed attempt. In my opinion, it was still one of the best turnouts ever. So I really think with that jumping from, I believe it went from two to like three and a half percent that time, drop back down to like 2.8 or something. I easily see this jumping another two percentages, like from Gary Johnson's time. I think, I think, You could actually go out there and like inspire people to consider a third party. But I think you're right with that message needs to get out there of the real goal of 5%. But you're dealing with cynics that, like I said in the beginning, like they're just going to change the rules. There's no point in telling people that because they're going to be more disappointed once we get 4.9 and then they're like, it's seven next year.
0: You know, that may be the case. But at the same time, I I think operating from that cynicism space Mm -hmm. is the reason why so many people kind of fall off with these with these movements exactly. you know what i mean yeah i mean because like at the end of the day you know the like I, I think i said this in the last episode that we did together like apathy really is like the number one contributing factors of the reason why things are so like messed up in our country yeah you know
1: 100 percent. yeah it's terrible to see you see people just like i talk like it's mostly with like older people like just boomers and stuff that like you'll have a two-second conversation and like you get to a point where they're like, well, I really don't know what's going on in this country at all. In like two seconds, like and I don't care because I'm going to die quick enough. That doesn't matter to me. <laughs>
0: yeah, you get people just really complacent with how things are. They're like, well, things have always been messed up. Nothing's going to change <laughs> that, you know, and like yeah. on one hand, you get it right. You're just like, yeah, I get it. You know, things have always been messed up. But like at the same time, you know, you you don't fix something without trying. You know, and some, and I think we've all grown up in an age now where when we try to fix anything, just like from a, in a broad perspective, we want it to be done quickly, you know, and these things aren't quick. I mean, they're going to take years. They're going to take it's like decades. I mean, by the time we die, there'll probably still be issues, but it's just like, mm. I mean, do there you to- There definitely wanna, will be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but like, do you want to just sit here and just like watch as things potentially get worse or do you want to help things like gradually get better? You know, yeah. that, that's kind of like- the dynamic i look at these days
1: and that's always my main goal like i feel like i feel like things I, i'm pretty optimistic i feel like things overall pick any negative situation that's going on in the world and almost every single one has been getting better over time like yeah. i i don't i i don't have a very negative outlook of the world i mean if you look at i mean poverty starvation just all these factors globally it's getting better and you might not see it right in front of you there might be plenty to complain about but even as like a poor person in America, the standard of living is just so high compared to the rest of the world that it just feels like things are getting better and people should really focus on being more appreciative. I mean, there's change that needs to be made, but I just, I don't know. I I, I think we've made so many accomplishments. Just, just go back 20, like go back every 20 years and it's like an exponential growth of how much things have gotten better. Like it's not slowly moving. It's getting way better, way faster, I think.
0: You know, I think for me, yeah you know, there there's two schools of thought here like basically mm-hmm. like you're saying you can you can appreciate you know the fact that things are changing and then there's some people who don't want to appreciate anything until it's all the way better and I kind of like I'm in a place where I'm kind of like right in the middle of that where I feel like it's important to celebrate small victories but at the same time you can't like lose sight of the eventual goal you know like we are trying to accomplish x and if we get caught up in like, well, we're better off than, you know, like A, B or C person, yeah. well, then that like, kind of like just diverts your attention away from the fact that like, we're still trying to solve some problems here.
1: Yeah, no, I, this is, this is a channel. I really like, I brought it up before though, that, um, J reg or whatever, but he, he this arts channel, he just seems to hit things like nail on the head, just so much, just things that are just very obvious, but he just puts it in a, in a sketch video that just, I don't know, it just to a T and, uh. That, that was one of his with dealing with depression. He's just like, why can't he's like, there's kids who starve in other countries? Why can't I look at a starving child and be happy? <laughs> like You know, like, like, you know, his life's not so bad, but you know, yeah. It's just, yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: that, that's a, that's a whole different rabbit hole. But. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, you don't have, like, he's like,
1: I have it better. Like, he's like, I'm older now. I should, you know, I, I got to blame myself. I can't blame the way I was
0: raised. Why aren't I happy? Like just, But yeah. you know what? I, I don't, i am so bad at getting onto tangents so i'm gonna do my best to avoid that one no that's but, what
1: this is all about man you know
0: <laughs> i went to i went to uh college for psychology and i mean yeah depression's depression's a monster man yeah. you know it, it's there's no true logic to it you know mm-hmm. there's so many different factors that can that can contribute to someone experiencing the feelings of depression so obviously logically you're thinking to yourself like my life compared to this person's life isn't bad so i shouldn't be feeling you know depressed about what i'm going through mm-hmm. but you know and honestly th- there's some room for that in your head because like it's a good thing that you're that you're thinking to yourself that like that you're trying to, that you're trying to bring yourself out of it you want to bring yourself out of it but at the same time it's not really fair to all the different like factors that contribute to someone experiencing depression i mean mm-hmm. there's there's diet there's exercise there's genetics there's you know sunlight intake i mean there's suppress trauma in your head that you might not be experienced that you might not like be like consciously aware of i mean mm. i mean and th- there's more factors than just that but there's like a long list and all of them kind of like operate together to create our mental states you know so i mean like it, it, it's kind of it's, it's not as simple as people like, might want to break it down to be so but i gotta say you know i i do i do want to say on the on a mental health standpoint man like you know if you are experiencing depression or anxiety, you know, like don't beat yourself up over that shit. You know, everyone kind of goes through that and yeah, it's, it's tough. It really is.
1: Yeah. No, I feel, I feel like I've been, I've been depressed before and like there is no explanation for it. Mine was chemically induced. I'll say that. I freaking um, I, I was having anxiety and I went and tried to like, you know, Hey, let's get some more anxiety. Yeah. They prescribed me depression. Like they just gave me a bunch of pills that fucks in my head. So, right. um, yeah, I, I, um, I've experienced it before, and I mean, yeah, it, it can be pretty terrible, but like even in there, I'm just su- such an optimistic person. I'd be having those days, and I'm like, yeah, but you haven't always felt like this, so it gets better. And I just feel terrible for the people who can't
0: hear that voice. Yeah, man. It's tough. It really is. I mean, you know, we hear about the, the mental health conversation more and more these days. Um, thankfully, I think that that stigma finally kind of breaking is, is a good thing for everyone. Yeah. You know, we're especially hearing it now, like more and more, especially as like, you know, gun debates come into play. You know, that seems like a a conversation that comes up pretty consistently now is like, you know, we need to focus on the mental health crisis in America, especially also it gets brought up when we're talking about addictions, you know, and yeah, I mean, it is is something that, I mean, truly is an epidemic. And so I'm glad that more and more people are are talking about it anymore because yeah, it affects us all differently and some Mm -hmm. people can handle you know it and some people can't and you know, there's nothing really wrong if you can't, but you know, I I do think we'll all be in a better place the more that we kind of find more efficient ways to address it.
1: Yeah. Well, talking about efficient ways to address it, and one thing you just tapped on there, uh addiction being one of one of the crutches for uh people experiencing depression. But um it's not always uh, it's it's always it's often an easy crutch to use to sort it out in the short term, and sometimes that turns into a long term long term compounding effect from now being addicted to something. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's the segue. We're on drugs.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I I was telling you at the beginning that i was brought into these like twitch debate panels right yeah one of the one of the conversations that i had on my very first stream in there was talking about pharma Mm. and talking about how you know some of these companies are basically getting away with prescribing these overly just like addictive drugs and having basically no repercussions whatsoever for sending out these, just like these, I mean, just synthetic heroin, basically, you know, just all over the, all over the country in the form of painkillers. And I mean, how many millions of people have had their lives upended by this stuff? I mean, whether if, whether it's like directly or indirectly, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's just an absolute just sham to me that no one in Washington or anywhere else, mind you, has found a way to honestly hold these people accountable for what they've done civilly or criminally. I mean, how do you feel about that? Um, I mean,
1: I don't want to see people get locked up. That's, that's the number one thing I feel. I mean, I don't want to see, No, I
0: don't mean like people using drugs. I mean like the pharmaceutical industry who's yeah. been pushing. these. Oh, drugs.
1: all right. Yeah. No, I was saying once they're addicted. Um, all right. So I mean, pushing them. I, yeah, I mean, it, it, there's something perverse going on. Like, um, in the pharmaceutical industry where you have doctors making money off of that. So like, it's not just that, like, I don't blame, I don't blame a company for saying, we have product, buy product. Like I, I definitely don't, I mean, it's a little more complicated than that. I'm saying like, as a general idea, I don't have a problem with a business pushing their product. What I have an issue with, is when it's then able to invade medicine, something that people like respect, and they're getting their clinician's advice when that person is paid for by a pharmaceutical company and they don't really care about your health as much as they care about their paycheck. That's where like the real issue comes from. So I blame, I blame a system that lets people lie to them about medicine, you know?
0: Yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying there. You kind of, you're shifting the, the kind of the,
1: the blame, I guess. Yeah, but it's, it's not really not, just not shifting doctors the blame, but
0: home. kind of like shifting the focus on into the, I guess the middle person and the middle person being a doctor at this point, they have the medical training, they understand what these drugs can do they should be able to tell you know a person walking into their office whether or not they need this drug and if they do they should be able to give them an accurate amount is, yeah. that, is that fair to say
1: yeah because i'm saying like these pharmaceutical companies like when they put up a lot of regulations and stuff on them like i mean they should stop these pills from just like ever flowing their way out of florida but at the same time some of these laws make it in certain states where it's hard to get a medication when you really actually need it as a responsible person like they they, they start limiting the people who actually have chronic pain and are able to take these pain medications in a responsible manner because it's not everybody that just gets addicted and i mean this is a subject that's close to me um i have uh, very close family members who've, uh, dealt with specifically this type of addiction, opiate addiction. But, um, I, and have died from it even many friends too. I mean, we're, we're kind of like in a, one of the centers of the epidemic. Like a lot of stuff comes through my area. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I kind of blame a system that allows, cause it's like, it's kind of the awe of power aspect of it. Like when, like if, if I went into like, you know, uh, uh, freaking liquor store and he started giving me medical advice I probably wouldn't take it because that's a guy and his medical advice was buy more whiskey you probably wouldn't take it but you go to a doctor and there's a certain level of respect and trust that you should have in this person as a medical official and you kind of just sit in like awe of his power and expect him to be telling you the right things when that's just not the case so I think there needs to be somewhat more of a an understanding that your doctor is kind of a business operator in this scenario like people don't view it as that and that's they're just another business so
0: and honestly it it shouldn't be that way yeah just like just truthfully speaking i i know that and this gets into you know like the the capitalism versus socialism debate i understand that Mm -hmm. and at the same time like this is one of those things where i feel like we shouldn't have to walk into a doctor's office and wonder if that doctor is giving us sound advice or if they're being paid to tell us what medication Mm -hmm. to take like that should not be a scenario that anyone has to face and the Mm -hmm. fact that we are facing that is inherently you know just like terrible and we need to figure out exactly what we need to do to fix that i don't know exactly what needs to be done if it needs to be done on the government level if it needs to be done in a separate way through the market but its current format is unsustainable, honestly.
2: Yeah,
1: I, I tend to, as always, I, I lead towards the market option, um, which seems like, for, I mean, on its face, this one seems like it'd be a lot harder to look at the market option. The issue is people are pursuing profit irresponsibly. So how could the market fix that? The market tends to lean towards profit. Uh, I just think um, more of a transparency on what's going on would, would help. Like People trust their doctor, but they don't really understand how their doctor gets paid in all these different ways I think a company like I think more competition and more transparency on how you make your money how you're what who your doctor's actually looking out for and showing off actual like just some like just uh I mean compile data and just show that you're doing better for your customer because and, and also just more just liability on these doctors. Like if somebody just completely blindly hands you pills because he's getting paid, he too should be held responsible. Like I just don't think it's all on these pharmaceutical companies. They're bad. Don't get me wrong. Like they're they're grimy as hell. I mean, they know exactly what they're doing. They're they're some of the scummiest people alive. But yeah. they're facilitated by a system that is just massively corrupt.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, you're just trying to like just game plan solutions here in my head you know, I I don't think, I mean, I'm sure that we could, I mean, if we really sat down and like spent hours trying to like create a perfect system, like maybe we could create a really well thought out one, but just really quickly here, I just like the idea of just knowing like which doctors are better than other doctors and trying to find some way to track that by seeing how their patient's quality of life is after receiving treatment from these Mm -hmm. doctors. Because when I walk into a hospital and I spend a lot of time dealing with a medical uh, system, you know, just for the last like seven years of my life. Mm -hmm. And when I walk into a hospital, you know, or a doctor's office of some sort, I have no idea who this physician really is. I mean, I have, I mean, like, I know who they are. I can see their qualifications, but I don't know how good of a doctor they are. I don't know if, you know, like what exactly the rate of success they have with their patients are. I mean, it, it, you more or less is like you're you're basically just like throwing stuff against the wall and hoping that it sticks mm-hmm. you know and you know just kind of like being a little more like um, vulnerable here I also had to spend time seeing like a mental health professional mm-hmm. and when I was trying to find the right person for myself you're basically in that uh, frame you're just going on Google and typing in psychologist, and then you get a bunch of names that pop up, but you have no idea who these people are, how good of a doctor they are, uh, what exactly they specialize in, if they're a dick. I mean, you just, and like when it comes to something like that in particular, like you're supposed to give these people like, you know, a few sessions before like you really like judge them. And by that time you might've wasted a month or two of your life trying to like feel this person out. That's just a giant waste of time. You know so like the the system honestly from top to bottom I could probably rant on this for the next 20 minutes straight on to be completely honest with you but there's so many issues with not knowing enough about these physicians and all the different like data that we'd probably need on them to make more uh just informed decisions and so I would love to see something like that be implemented because yeah I mean going to the doctor is stressful enough especially when you factor in the cost of our current medical care system. And so th- there has to be some better information out there for the everyday person when they walk into these places, because we're walking in there blind and putting all of our trust in people who might not deserve it.
1: Yeah, seriously. It's um, it's complicated. I, li- I like how you say you're just Googling people. I'm picturing the last time I went to a doctor, there's just a bunch of names on a list. And yeah. my, my choice is no harder than this. I'm just like, I just look at the last name and I'm like, there's a J in the middle there. That's they probably fought to get in this country, man. That's uh, <laughs> I'm just they probably want it more. <laughs> I don't know, it's no more complicated than that. I'm making assumptions off of uh, last names. That's it. <laughs> uh, I'm just. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just like. I don't know. I can't even read that one. That's fucking sounds good to me. There's my doctor.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and and so basically, like like we're talking about here, like the sy- the fact that the system is. Like set up like this is an issue, yeah. and you know when I hear us talking about healthcare in our country, it's always about like, oh well we need to keep it the way it is because we have the best healthcare system in the world, blah blah blah. Or I hear on the other side, it's like, oh, we need Medicare for all because we need to talk about, you know, like the fact that our, our medical system costs too much money, blah blah blah. And I'm like, okay, I mean, I under- I see that these conversations are taking place, but nowhere. In this conversation, we are talking about the quality of care actually being administered? Because yeah. that is, in my opinion, an even bigger issue. You know, because I got to tell you, it's an unpopular opinion to have, especially as somebody who's, you know, more left-leaning. But, you know, I would be okay, you know, paying, you know, this much money for healthcare if I thought I was getting quality healthcare. But I don't always know that I am. And in fact, I haven't. So, I mean, there's been plenty of times where I've walked out of the hospital and I just paid $1,000 for jack shit. And I'm just like, why did I pay that much money for this? How does this make any sense? But if I had walked out of the hospital and had gotten my issue addressed effectively, efficiently, well, yeah, you can have $1,000. Sure. I feel better now.
1: No, seriously. Uh, And I mean, back to what you were talking about, like being able to know what the doctor is doing, that's kind of what I was pushing at with, like, the compiled data. Like, some form of... Privatized um, group that just rate or multiple privatized groups. Like there's multiple credit unions for a reason. Like not everybody just trusts one, so they've become more reputable as they've been around longer. So now there's like the main three. But uh, really, I mean, that kind of be the goal is to have certain bodies that go around rate people, compile it, like measure the data, and we're getting better at this every day. Like that is the number one sold resource, like in this country. Like that's, that's what most people like. You know, that's, or. i I, i'm probably saying that wrong you know data is worth a lot that's my point i'm not gonna make any points for the amazon facebook yeah we're getting collected on everything this (laughs) this podcast will have data collected on it um yeah yeah, so i mean it's available it's out there and there i i feel that there's some kind of privatized thing where they could compile actual results and show who's the better doctor Uh, it's out there for a lot of things but um And I just have more of a problem with that being a centralized body. Uh, I think more options and more competition are going to keep it more honest, because if we look at right now, like anytime the government has to check on itself, whether it be police unions or teachers unions that completely disrupt what the public wants from these groups, but they get to decide for themselves how how they're going to operate. You know, like we don't really get to go question the police and, in the same way with a, a centralized medical system i don't think we really get to question our medicine so once they take it, it it's kind of discussion over whether it's better or worse it's what we have from now on it's the answer
0: you know the one thing that i always you know and, and again i'm not going to sit here and tell you that i unequivocally believe in medicare for all because i don't know that i do i'm i'm truly conflicted on it mm-hmm. i mean like the only reason that i have advocated for it in the past was because I thought to myself, if we're going to have a dumb healthcare system that that doesn't work as well as it should, it might as well cost less, because medical bankruptcy disgusts me. And I don't understand how you can justify charging as much money as they do for healthcare costs. I mean, it's absolutely a joke to me that that the amount of money that's charged is charged. And they kind of like throw that BS around about like, we have the best doctors in the world, but there's plenty of other World-renowned physicians who are in other countries, and they charge so much less. And they're mm-hmm. just because the doctors we have here. So I kind of don't really want to hear about that. But honestly, you know, what it really comes down to for me is I just want to like talk about one specific thing. If we did have a socialized healthcare system, it's not in the sense that the government directly would control the hospital. It's the fact that the government would essentially act as the insurance company does now Uh you know where they would pay the hospital for services rendered they're Mm -hmm. not actually going into the hospital and taking it over you're basically just replacing blue cross blue shield with the u.s government exactly that's that's basically the idea here so I, i think that's an important distinction to have in your mind where it's not like you're like oh well You know, we like our healthcare system the way it is now. It's like, no, we're basically just getting rid of Blue Cross Blue Shield. We're getting rid of insurance Mm -hmm. companies. Does anyone actually like insurance companies? I mean, I know we, and I'm I'm willing to have that conversation with you, but the one thing that I couldn't get over when when I was having these, hearing these debates, especially on the Democratic primary stage last year, you know, the people saying like, hey, people like their insurance companies. I'm just like, okay, I understand you're against socialized medicine, but nobody likes their insurance company. Let's be fair about that.
1: I think. People could like their insurance companies. I think there's plenty of opportunity for insurance companies to be better because right now they're absolutely horrible. Th- there's really yet again another terrible incentive where the hospitals and like medical providers, pharmaceutical companies work together with the insurance company to find the highest possible price they're willing to pay. And I mean, right now you have issues with like the insurance companies lobbying against lower prices and stuff and or lobbying against them paying more and... Like them paying out more, like they're able to lobby against that kind of stuff. Like, um, or here's an example. All right, so uh, you remember Martin Screlly? Uh, no, you don't know him. The guy he was, uh, they called him Farmer Bro. Dude was selling, um, I believe a cancer treatment. I forget what it was. It was either a diabetes. A, no, I, I think it was a cancer treatment. Yeah, but he, he took a pill, jacked it up three hundred percent. Everybody hated him on the news a while ago. Real. Villain oh, kind of okay. dude. Yeah. You remember this yeah. guy? Yeah. And everybody was hating on him. I stand by this guy because I followed his story uh, and heard him explain his side. He was smeared. Like, what would you like? He went to jail. You know that, right?
0: No, I didn't know that.
1: Oh, you went to jail. Well, he went to jail and that's all they played it as. This. Yeah. He went to jail. Remember the bad pharma man who raised all the prices? he wasn't screwing over the average person. He was fucking over insurance companies. Not one person without without their medication. It was still fully covered by the insurance they were already paying, but their premiums didn't go up. So just the insurance companies got screwed and they hated him for it. And so they dug through his history and they found something that happened 15 years prior where he was like a... um, a financial advisor. And basically here's how, here's how the thing went. This is illegal. So he does go to jail for it, but believe me, he got away with it for a while and they had to dig it up to go find it because nobody got hurt by the end of it. What happened Mm -hmm. is somebody gives him, he's like, here's $10,000. Please go make me money. sir." he's like, I got this. I'm the money guy. 10,000 thousand's gone. Oh no. He goes, went great. Give me 20,000 and you'll have even more. They give him the money. He shows back up with the actual amount. He fixed it the second time, but he lied. He lost all the money one time and said, it's going great. Send me more and then dug his way out. So yeah, that little lie wound him up in jail. But yeah, he didn't hurt people. He hurt insurance companies. So right now, the way I see it, there's like a, a corrupt position of power that a lot of these companies, which aren't truly private, like they have special privileges from the place they've worked themselves up to and now have made laws that keep them as a protected the insurance company that's not going anywhere. They've made barriers to entry harder and competition harder. So they work together with the doctors and keep that whole corrupt system going. So could our insurance companies be better? Yeah, and then maybe we'd love them.
0: I mean, I am willing, I'm willing to say to you here that. No, no, not okay. I I, I used to work for for medical, uh, for insurance companies. Um, So it seems kind of, you know, a little weird that I'm sitting here just you know, talking so much against them. But I, I, I truly believe that they don't really need to exist. I really mm-hmm. don't. I mean, I would, even if he didn't go the socialized medicine route, I think it would be more efficient to have just like individual hospitals negotiating with people directly mm-hmm. than the insurance company. Because at the end of the day, that would actually lower costs for the everyday person because a part of your premium essentially is paying the insurance company. Yeah. You know, you're paying for, you're paying for the insurance company, you're paying for all their costs, you're paying for their own insurance. I mean, you're paying for their lobbying efforts and, but really all you're trying to do is pay for medical coverage. Mm. But in the turn, you're also, we're also paying to prop up a multi-billion dollar industry, which essentially does not need to exist. Mm. Right. So, I mean, you, I just don't believe that they really do need to exist. And in turn, a bunch of people currently are in an insurance place where they're paying for something that they can never really use. And let me talk to you about this a little bit more specifically before we transition away from this. Oh, no. When I worked for a medical insurance company, I'm not going to say which company it was, when okay. I worked for them, one thing that they like to show us was that why people should buy our insurance is because we didn't scam people like other people did. And so they tried to show how other companies do it. And so they looked at national rates, basically. Okay. And they showed that 97% of all medical claims in America are actually underneath $5,000. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so for this reason, a lot of these major uh, insurance companies will put their deductibles above $5,000. Therefore, anytime that you go to use a claim, your insurance won't even kick in. So you're still paying them every month, but yet you never actually get to touch your stuff because you never hit your deductible. And it also makes you think to yourself that if you have a high deductible, you're probably less likely to use your insurance in the first place. And so, is honestly a giant racket what these insurance companies have going on. They found the perfect way to create a system where you're basically paying them money and they almost never have to give you anything in return. And that is the story for most people in America. And so, yes, the system is incredibly corrupt. And I, again, I'm being biased right now but I just do not think they're even worth saving. No,
1: no, absolutely. I mean, that's that's the thing is I this is what I get to do a lot of the time with like libertarianism is I get to zoom out further. But sometimes I don't go far enough. Like we're trying to work towards I mean, essentially, with like a lot of like these uh, further, more extremist views and like more of the centrist, like moderate kind of views, because the moderates are currently residing in the system that is the Overton window. Like the moderates are there for a reason. They're okay with everything that's going around them right now to an extent. Um, so when you're more on the outside thing, you're working towards a reality that may never have existed or, um, you know, you're working toward, yeah, you're working towards something that didn't exist because, you know, if you want to go back to something that already happened, well, it changed and it got overtaken. So you're working towards something new in almost every one of these things. So yeah, I have to, I have to remember that like, Hey, in, in these privatized ideas, I sometimes try to work through what we already have. But yeah, no, like insurance companies probably don't need to exist. You're right. There probably could be a better private option just working with the hospitals. Um, and, you know, you see, though, you see in the way that they they run the laws where they, you know, the left mainly screaming Medicare for all. And then Obama comes out and goes, here's the solution. You just have to get insurance. Yeah, the, the insurance guys get paid. <laughs> it, it never seems to really go in a direction that doesn't just help out the worst of the worst. Yeah, so I I could, I could get rid of insurance companies entirely. I, I I still think there's a a better way to negotiate, but um yeah, I mean because you see they know how to they know how to set themselves up to make money like with that deductible trick they do that in everything every every car payment or like auto insurance home insurance they've worked it out so that they're skimming off they're skimming off the top they don't they they're not operating at a loss.
0: So no, they're, yeah. they're, they never operate. In fact, I mean, I mean, honestly, car insurance, homeowners insurance, that stuff actually has a much lower, uh, like mm-hmm. ROI, you know, return on investment. I mean, those companies make fractions of what these health insurance companies mm-hmm. make. You know, it, it's honestly, it's so insane to be, to be, but like at the same time, it's, you know, I, I see, I actually see more value in homeowners insurance. Yeah. and in car insurance yeah I, I, I really do because you know like in that particular case you know like there's no like body that you can kind of like directly work with like if you like in health insurance you could work something out with the hospital right mm-hmm. but if you if your house burns down and you own it i mean that you know like there's there's no there's no one to work with here you can't you know like you can't work with the fire I mean, so it, it, in that particular case, like I understand like the homeowner's insurance, car insurance, like they make more sense to me logically health and like health insurance. I, I feel like that uniquely it just in my mind, you know, maybe someone else could come on here and like, you know, like, you know, drop a comment somewhere on social media, like, let me know your, your take on this. But, you know, I just don't think that they particularly need to exist. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess to kind of like round off this conversation like not entirely against medicare for all like i wouldn't be mad if it became if, if it became a thing my main concern is just you know again let's find a way to make this more affordable for everyone has mm-hmm. to be done and quality of care needs to go way up doctor transparency needs to be a thing
1: 100%. one thing i want to see more if, if insurance companies were to stick around for health for young people especially i don't know why there's not more options for as just as a whole just catastrophic, like insurance, uh, like catastrophic medical insurance. Like, Oh my God, I just got like a serious form of cancer that I'm not going to be able to afford my bills on. And you pay a premium to that. I think that would make sense. But as for like average checkup in my twenties, I don't know, man, I just wouldn't pay it. Like I didn't care, you know? Like I'm, you know, I'm, and I mean, people probably should get checked up on more, but with the way the medicine I'm offered is, I feel like I'm just paying that guy to go there. He's like, did you die this year? No. How's your diet? I'm like, poor. He's like, all right, get out of (laughs) here.
0: You know, when they first tried to roll out uh, the whole idea that everyone had to have health insurance, and the conversation at the time was everyone has to have car insurance. There's no difference here. And in my mind, all I could think of was there's a huge difference here. I mean, health insurance is just about you. You know, car insurance is about protecting somebody else. I mean, you have car insurance because – if you hit somebody else, you have to guarantee that you can pay them. Health insurance is just about, it's just a self thing. It's just for you. Like if you get sick, you're not gonna, I mean, you know, unless we're talking about like coronavirus. So you're not looking at- I was gonna, gonna, go I was gonna hit you with that in a second. Else. I was gonna do that. You're not gonna go around like infecting somebody else. I mean, like, you know, if you, I mean, cancer doesn't transmit, you know, mm-hmm. so it's like me you know, heart disease doesn't transmit. So we're talking about like, yeah, I, I think forcing people to be on health insurance honestly, never really sat right with me. I mean, I know why they did it. Like it made sense, like in the sense that like more people in the pool allowed them to make the system work the way that it did. But at the same time, I guess just like fundamentally, I guess just like coming from like a principle standpoint, it always kind of rubbed me the wrong way because it just didn't, I, I just don't like the idea that you couldn't avoid it. It felt like the first like tax that was basically being implemented that you could not escape. Because like if you don't want to pay vehicle tax, you don't have a vehicle. If you don't pay a homeowner's tax, you don't have a home. You don't want to pay like sales tax. I mean, you don't buy it in states that have sales tax. But like, there was no escape from this tax. It was like either you pay it or you die. Yeah. I mean, so like when they removed the individual mandate, you know, like a year or two ago. I think you know, it was a little what- longer.
1: It it don- I, it almost was really never there because I remember when it first came out, there was always a box you could check that's just like I'm gonna fuck up and I couldn't handle this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah but like you know when they got rid of the individual individual mandate i was kind of you know i was more or less just like that was probably the way to go yeah yeah
1: yeah i i mean i think that's it we're both just we're looking for solutions there Let's see what else yeah. i got actually oh one place we're all, we're looking for solutions um so we dabbled on the climate change thing uh for like a second there earlier but um yeah you had that you did this one video uh or audio a while ago that was uh talking about 99% of the emissions from cows just specifically could be reduced with seaweed?
0: Look, man, all I'm gonna say really quickly here, I know I, I have more than, one. first thing <laughs> I'm gonna tell. say is that I did not think to myself that that episode was gonna be as popular as it was. So that's really cool to me, first of all. You know, just it's for shocking. people out there. So <laughs> for people out there who are really interested in you know, like learning more about me or my podcast. That seaweed episode blew up. So that was really cool that so many people seemed really interested in that topic. But on that point specifically, I i mean, you probably heard my reaction in the episode, but I was just like, how is that not common knowledge? Like that makes no sense whatsoever. You know, like, cause I remember when I first started doing like research on that, you know, on this topic, I was going across like all the different things that seaweed can do as far as like helping the environment and so on and so forth. And when I came across that particular stat, I was like, the fact that that's not being leveraged everywhere makes absolutely no sense. I mean, you can't make it make sense to me. You know, I like the fact that it wasn't like, I mean, it would make more sense if that had become available knowledge in 2020 or 2019, you'd be like, okay, people haven't caught up yet. That stat was from 2016. Someone in Australia figured that out five years ago, and I was just learning about it two months ago. How? You,
1: you know? know, you get a uh, I, I, you like that just makes no sense to me. Well, another thing that doesn't make a lot of sense to uh, uh, people who are focused on climate change is the conservative reaction. But I think when you find a few rabbit holes like this kind of thing, I think this is exactly what leads to climate change denial. I, I've seen it in real time. Like you just have a couple open holes like this. Like, wait, we could have plugged that hole for like four years and no one's doing anything about it. It's like, well, then how much do you actually care? Because I hear you as politicians talk about this like it's a super, super serious thing. But when there's solutions on the table, you ignore them. So I guess a lot of climate change deniers look at those people and go, they don't fucking act like they believe it.
0: Why should I? You know, the one thing I will say to those people Is that if you honestly believe in your heart that these politicians who are in Washington actually care about the subject they claim to care about, I need you to stop what you're doing and just reassess what you think you (laughs) know about politics. Because (laughs) I think we all need to come to a space where we collectively agree that Republicans and Democrats give literally no fucks about the average everyday person. They just use these subjects as a way to virtue signal us. Like you have to, you have to literally embody that. And then understand that just because they are using these things to their benefit at the same time also does not mean that they do not exist. Yeah. So, you know, so to to answer your question, I guess more directly is, you know, like why is this not like being a thing? I, I don't really know. I don't really know what the motivation would be, or maybe it truly is one of those things that just slipped through the cracks somehow, but you know, we, as everyday people, we don't have to wait for politicians to like, you know, get motivated to do these things. We can spread this information. And the one thing that I've been seeing, I know that people can really upset about all these different like movements that have been going around, around like the country, especially like as they've been popped up through the internet. Mm -hmm. I mean, at the end of the day which movement specifically? Just I I mean like just like any any particular just in like general. social justice movement that yeah. you can
1: think of. Just making just yeah. trying to clarify.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean like regardless of how you feel about any particular social justice movement, I, I feel like the more positive thing to look at when you see any of these movements is the fact that like individual citizens, if they just like come together and use their collective power, they can shine light on whatever they want to. Mm-hmm. And you know, like you can leverage that yourself however you see fit. You know, so if you want to shine in for you know, shine more light on a subject that you think is not being talked about enough, we can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have to wait for, you know, Joe Biden or Mitch McConnell or Donald Trump or whoever to like be like, Hey, you know, like it's time to do something about this. Like, no, we can start talking about this now. Yeah.
1: And I think there's a lot of just like it comes down to a lot of personal choices are gonna be the best thing that can change this. I, I personally I'm kind of a I'm kind of a a doomer when it comes to the climate change. I I look at the stats and I'm like, well, it's getting bad really fast. I I think we're kind of at a point where like a lot of like a lot of the arguments they put out there are things like carbon tax and all these things that don't really seem to shift the trajectory at all and so when you see that the trajectory is not slowing down we should be doing as many things as we can on personal choices to reduce like uh whether it be driving a more fuel efficient car or doing your own personal recycling i mean even just going uh during uh, the pandemic i mean maybe just your restaurant choices if they're using uh plastics or renewables for their to-go wear you know that could have even been a personal choice you could make but or just using less of that stuff ask for no uh, plastic wear get your own at home you don't need a Free fork every time. Um, so it's like those personal choices will be better. But when it comes to like the carbon taxes and the big things, I, I can't get behind a lot of that because it, it seems like it's always just, we're going to put a tax on the average American, which then goes to benefit like uh, a carbon credit for some big company that's already making money. And meanwhile, India and China aren't even going to play ball. It's just like, how do you get the average person like to take a percentage of their paycheck like i mean personal choices i'll do it when i can directly see it but just handing over a higher percentage of my taxes to a guy who doesn't seem to care about the issue just seems
0: insane to me right and this is again you know honestly whenever i hear the word whenever i hear the words carbon tax it always just makes me just crit yeah i saw you because face. <laughs> it literally is the exact opposite of what needs to be done like you yeah. are trying to shift The weight of this burden onto the everyday consumer, where the burden should have been shifted onto these major like corporations who've been doing all this like massive polluting. Mm -hmm. But instead of trying to do that, you're willing to like car like implement a carbon tax for the everyday person to like to do or in the case of certain scientists are trying to find ways to dim the sun. They'd rather do that than actually fight climate change. Fucking yes, Billy. I'm not joking about that. I know Billy what he's up to. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we were talking about just the most extreme things in the world, but like on, there's such simple solutions out there. And that's why I wanted to make that seaweed episode was because it's like that is just one example in a long line of things that we could do to dramatically improve the situation. And that is like on face value that is something that we could do while not changing a single thing about how we pollute. So, I mean, if you did that while also on the other end finding ways to pollute less, you know, like it it would dramatically change all the issues that we're having with climate. And at the same time, one thing to keep in mind is the fact that the planet heals itself. You know, a lot of those holes in the ozone layer people were talking about decades ago, they're healing, you know, they're actually like getting better. So I mean, like people need to keep that into account, but I, I think, before I stop, you know, ranting here for a second, one of the last things that I saw recently was um, some scientists out of New Zealand who were saying that. Uh, Isn't that where the seaweed probably... came from? Also, uh, the, seaweed well, thing? The, seaweed, the seaweed episode?
1: No, that 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 research came from New Zealand. Oh, also it too? came from uh, Australia. Oh, all right, sorry. Anyway, yeah. didn't mean to derail. But uh,
0: yeah, so I saw some scientists out of New Zealand who were saying that if we as a planet planted one trillion trees um I believe it was one trillion yeah I think it was one trillion trees it would actually um knock out 25 percent mm-hmm. of all of carbon emissions that are currently coming out so just by doing that one thing and I'm, that sounds like a crazy amount of trees you know I, I believe it actually it might have been a billion I'd have to I mean
1: how much billion. does a seed cost were that more than, were 27 of those trillions in debt? We could probably find one of them to go to a tree.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm just I'm not sure. Don't quote me, I'm not sure if it was one trillion or one billion. It was it was one of those two. So I do apologize for not having that stat perfect there. But uh either way, (laughs) you know, it it seems like a very like attainable thing. I'm just like, you know what? We can take that four billion out of Israel and start planting some damn trees, okay? That's what we can do. We can take that four billion that way and start planting some trees around the world. Because I gotta tell you, I ate an apple today, there were seven seeds in that motherfucker. So (laughs) no. Could just start right there
1: yeah seriously man yeah no there's that there, i i do think that's one of the biggest things that leads to climate denial is practical solutions being available and the second you're able to point at them you're like why should i listen to you if you're not going to do the obvious it's just yeah it, it leads people down a bad path but um like it goes you know what it leads them to that apathy it leads them right back to that apathy
0: right and you know i'm just gonna keep saying it over and over again like like do not like, look at these politicians as harbingers of truth, you know, they are literally out there just trying to find ways to maintain power and increase their bank accounts. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, just because they're corrupt people, it does not mean that everything that they talk about isn't actually happening. You know, like, they may be utilizing Black Lives Matter to find a way to get votes or to get money into their super PACs. But it doesn't mean that these issues aren't happening. You know what I mean? Or in this case, the environment.
1: Yeah, you know, I actually uh, one of my previous guests. I I, I kind of like it. He says uh, he says uh, a couple of years back he started viewing politicians as. Um, like literal physical demons. And he says it hasn't. He goes, I, I can just operate on the knowledge that they're physical demons. And literally it helps me travel through life easier because it's the same outcome if you picture them that way. They're not out there. They're not your friends. They're." E-, he's like, it's actually easier to operate thinking they're literally soul-sucking demons who have your worst interest in mind. He goes, because the outcomes always end up the same when I picture them that way. So it might as well.
0: Right. And honestly, I got to tell you, I always have a hard time getting caught like like watching people get really caught up like fighting for their politicians. Oh, I know you know like when I see people getting like really passionate about how good of a person Joe Biden is, or I see someone getting really passionate about like, well, Donald Trump was just trying to save America. It's like, no, <laughs> he was not <laughs> Donald Trump was trying to get paid. Well you stop with that. I'm sorry or boosty
1: both, but
0: <laughs> I mean, like I'm not trying to say Joe Biden's a saint over here. He's, <laughs> oh, yeah, he's no. Easily he's easily also very corrupt and you know, for several different reasons here. But I, I think the most accurate thing that I saw last year was a meme where on the top it was uh Darth Sidious like laughing in Revenge of the Sith, and on the bottom it was uh Voldemort laughing in uh like Harry Potter, Deathly Hollows, and it was like America election twenty twenty, who are you gonna vote for? Yeah. I was just like, yep, that, that, that about works. Yeah, Yeah.
1: It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's freaking terrible. I, like I was saying with feeling bad for people in my state, I don't under, like voting for Donald Trump in my state was just those people. I'm like, why, do you even, why did you even get out of bed today? He's not going to win. You're literally driving to a place to boost some old man's ego. You're that wrapped up in your personal experience that adding one number to, to this man's overall count makes you feel like you did something. <laughs>
0: like, I got to tell you, on a, on a semi-side note, yeah. I have never actually driven somewhere to vote before. Yeah, my you have been able away. to walk. Yeah. I, I mean, no, I haven't walked anywhere either. You haven't always, voted? <laughs> I No, I have never voted in person. I have voted by mail in every election my entire life. OK,
1: so you so see your vote didn't count because that stuff's all just crazy mumbo joke. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I got to tell you, it was the most bizarre thing in the world watching that unfold this year. Yeah, because like just basically the attacks on mail in voting, because I live in a red state mm-hmm. and we have a huge like mailing, like voting population. And we've had one. The entire time that I yeah. lived here. You know, so I mean like I've been voting for twelve years now. And this was the first time that everyone was like, you know, mail mail in voting has all these issues with it. I was like, No, it doesn't. Because like if it yeah. did, you know, I'm in a Republican state, they would have squashed that a long time ago. Like, what are yeah. you talking about? The way you I, know, I mean, yeah, Utah has a system right now where they send out like ballots to every single person, and that's the most red state you can think of.
1: Yeah, that kind of that one is a little wild to me. I, I see like, cause the thing is, it's not like there's no issues with mail-in val- uh, voting. It's just this year wasn't anything special. There's, there's always a small amount of vote. Like there's, there's trouble in any kind of voting. You're going to get some errors, but yeah, this, this wasn't an exceptional year. This, this was probably the standard amount of other ballots that weren't counted and stuff like they've gone through them. And actually funny, if not a lot of people know this, they're still, still fighting that battle. Um, for uh, counting the votes and stuff (laughs) like they they don't hear it going on the one thing the one thing I always say though because because I like it seems like it's out the window like even the people who are going for it they go look we're not going to change the president but we might be able to prove that there was more fraud than any other year and that there was actually something different about this year hey you know what it's a let, let them do what they want they're mostly funding it themselves but um and you're not hearing about it anymore but what gets me is when I see like like a freaking quiz. Uh, I don't know if it was Chris Cuomo. Somebody came out like on CNN and they were just like, this is nonsense. This is insane. No one should look at the, and I'm like, okay, well these guys seem innocuous and like your propaganda if they w- <laughs> like, I always go towards, uh, if there was, if there was no chance, your propaganda would be unnecessary. Like, why the fuck are you even talking about this? Like, it's just bringing more attention to it. Like if it's, if it's no big deal, which it probably isn't, it just goes away. Just fucking stop reporting on these people.
0: I got to tell you, you know, I probably, hopefully, you know, like the last shameless plug here, but I spent my, when I started my third season back in December, mm-hmm. my first episode I did was talking about, you know, everything that happened in between the election and like around like January 6th, basically. So all the stop yeah. to steal stuff. And I just lost my mind trying to like, trying to track the, basically what was the hypocrisy of all of it? Mm -hmm. Because the people who were the most upset about the election results, I just felt like they weren't actually just being fair about the reality of the situation. They were saying like, you know what? It just doesn't make any sense. How could Joe Biden win by such small margins? Like he won by like 20,000 votes in Wisconsin. Like that's basically unheard of. I'm just like, yeah, except for Donald Trump won Wisconsin by 20,000 votes in 2016. But there wasn't an issue then. It's like, oh, well, he won by an even smaller margin in, in Georgia. He won by like 18,000 votes. It's like, well, he won by 11,000 votes in Michigan in 2016, but you didn't care about that then? You know, it's just like, it was like, come on now. It's like, like, what are you actually trying to say here? It's like, because it was a close margin, therefore it had to be something nefarious. So, did Donald Trump cheat to win in 2016 then? Because he won by a total oh, yeah. of 50,000 votes over the course of three states in 2016 but somehow that was a-okay, but this isn't. It's like, come on. Yeah.
1: Well, th- that's that's my that's my main problem. I always try to say to these people who like stop to steal, like, I'm like, guys, you just four years ago talked about how embarrassing the Hillary people were when they were doing this. Why are you going to be that guy? Like, how short is your memory? You I, I know some of these people have made fun of them. Like, I... I just couldn't be me. And I think that's why I went for like, it only took one election cycle to realize neither of these parties represent me. I just default picked one. I'm like, that one sucks. And then living through the opposite of it because it's like every four years is a parody of the last one. I'm just like, oh my God, I'm surrounded by insane people. <laughs> like it made sense the first time this went around. Now it's the fucking opposite. And you guys are going to tell me it's, it's the, like, it's the opposite. I don't know. Yeah.
2: It,
0: it doesn't make any sense. No. It really doesn't. It's like honestly, like just the weirdest things. It was just like, well, Joe Biden couldn't have won Arizona. Arizona is a red state. I'm like, okay, so states yeah. don't flip. Does that mean that like Donald Trump shouldn't have won Ohio because Ohio had gone blue the previous two elections? So when he flipped it red, somehow he stole Ohio. Is that, is that the logic we're applying here? It's like, no. it's like, oh, it's like, like come on now. I you mean, I, I could go into more details about like how it does make a whole lot of sense, but it's just like, it just felt like people weren't actually, you know, going after these conversations in good faith. They were like, oh, well, there were some irregularities. I mean, there was a guy who came out of a truck and in the truck said Joe Biden on, and he was carrying a box of paper into the polling place. I'm like, so you're saying that some super spy showed up to a polling place in a in a truck that had Biden's name on it and walked out with a box full of papers in the daylight. And that's how they were going to steal the election. Okay. <laughs> one, of, one of my, one of my favorite
1: ones was, uh, it was like a TikTok that went viral of this, uh, these people moving like these Pelican looking cases into, into the back of a van. And there's people screaming, they're stealing votes. They're putting the votes in the van. Like they're out in the back. And to, cause I was having a conversation with the, like the day this came out, I was having a conversation with my buddy about, um, you know, he, he's more on the uh, side that there was some kind of corruption. And uh, he's like, dude, there's like 3,000 sign, Like, I don't know. It was a way higher number, actually. Like, there's huge amount of affidavit signs saying they saw something. And I show him that video of them moving the Pelican cases. And then the guy with the Pelican case films inside the case. It's a bunch of, like, filming equipment. He's like, this is literally just all cameras and stuff. And I'm like, see that guy screaming <laughs> in the back? That's who signed the fucking affidavit. He thinks he's seeing something. He believes he's seeing something. He is not.
0: Yeah. When you say the word affidavit, it sounds very like, you know, like demonstratively like, like, oh, this is an official word used by official, like smart people, Mm -hmm. you know? So like, it has to be a legit legal document. It's just hearsay. Like a person saw one thing and they were willing to sign it on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. That means nothing. That doesn't even hold up in a court of law. They throw that out all the time. It's actually the most like, uh, like unlike reliable force, like source of information, you know, as far as like the eyewitness account, you know? To be like, you don't actually know what you saw, but let me like talk to some of their like beliefs here for a second, because I think one thing here is important to highlight, which is, I, I think it'd be better for everyone if we did have a system in place where it was more transparent, how voting is counted. Yeah. Like, I think that there is no logical reason not to implement something like that other than maybe how much it would cost. But i mean besides besides the cost if that's not a factor there's no good reason not to do it from a sense of like people are really unsure about the voting process we should do something to restore faith so that people can understand that their votes do count And one of the ways that we can do that is creating some kind of system so that they can see that how their votes are counted because like the really only hang up to that is like, you know, people don't want their votes to be public. They don't want like someone on camera being like, oh, Judy down the street, she voted like this, but there's an easy way to get around that by just like, yeah. You can having ballots that. marked with like maybe like a specific number and then only you know that number so when you see that number flash across the screen like you know that that's your vote. or you're, you know i'm sure we could probably like shop this idea if we really spend some time thinking about it but i, I
1: can solve it in two words block chain
0: <laughs> there it is yeah but like yeah i i think our country would benefit from having more transparency because that's really what this all boils down to is that people in our country right now don't believe in our voting process and that's an issue it really is it honestly is and honestly on the republican side this is a huge issue for them yeah because you know if a bunch of republicans feel like their president is got you know got stolen from them are they going to show up in 2024
1: probably not i know i've thought of that I, be, I that's what I was trying I mean, to tell my buddy who was like screaming like the old stop to steal all these affidavits and stuff. I'm like, like during the insurrection and like, or whatever you want to call that. I, I have buddies who don't like to use that word. Um, and that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's I don't know. It was. uh yeah, would call it yeah.
0: coup. That's not a proper definition, but insurrection. Yeah.
1: Yeah. All right. So, hey, some people want to use it. Some people don't. Yeah. Uh, yeah but um, it's just it's it's more so just how poorly it reflected. Like, I was just like, dude, this is this is the beginning of the end. Like, not only, and that's why I also think with the libertarian movement being bigger in 2025, they're going to let this cat out of the bag to try to fuck with whatever the Republican status is. Because I, I think when this guy's message get out gets out, it's going to appeal a lot more to Republicans that feel displaced right now because the party really doesn't represent some of the conservative values that they fight for. So I think you're going to see a big shift in then leaving. Also, the people who don't care, there's a good chance that we're just democrat from here on out actually (laughs) like
0: i mean well the republicans in various states are going way out of their way to you know try to do something about that Mm -hmm. with some of these voter suppression bills they're not like a lot of these bills are basically just designed to just trim the edges more or less they're just trying to like just cut little bits here cut little bits here you know so it's not like an egregious you know, violation, but it's just enough to like bring the margins down a little bit to remain competitive, which is honestly, I got to tell you, this is again, obviously just my opinion, but incredibly hypocritical on the Republican party standpoint as the party who constantly champions capitalism and competition <laughs> to be trying to do their best to avoid competition, which yeah. is just like, oh, you don't want to fight for votes. You just want to keep other people from voting. Okay. That's what I was How saying How about you just go out time. there with a better message?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was saying last time. They're just, you're like, oh, they seem libertarian. I'm like, man, in what sense? Because I don't live in that world. (laughs) Like they, I, I, they don't mean anything they say, man. That's just, that's why I'm not part of it anymore. The Republican party is an absolute disgrace in this country. It's a, they, they don't fight don't for anything they, they say. Stand for. That's the uh, thing. I, they I, don't I, really, I really anymore. Don't. They used to, or at least they used to say things that were correct, but they haven't stood for anything in years. And right now all that they have left, which I don't think the democratic party really stands for much anymore of what it pretends to portray. It's expanding two sides. Power.
0: What? Expanding government power.
1: Well, yeah, if that's something you want. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. If you want expansion of government power, but I mean, I, mean, I just yeah, see that I as the like worst thing the with the worst people in power, like it, just expanding government. Like, I mean, as a guy who for no reason wants to just small, like just make the size of government small at every single option. Like I'm, I'm kind of the opposite of what you're saying, like to just expand government for the sake of expanding it. I want to shrink it for the sake of shrinking it. But um, right. yeah, it's, I just don't, I mean, either direction can be a bad thing. Like if it was just like, we're going to shut off all the rules tomorrow. Everything's exactly how it is now, but there's no cops. Uh, like, like, I don't know, man, you could start a purge pretty quick if you did things in the wrong order. And th- but from the Democratic side, yeah, just starting, uh, just ex- expanding the size of government just to expand it, I-, I see horrible things going there with the wrong people in power.
0: I've always believed in my mind that our system was uniquely designed to be successful because it implemented conservative and liberal ideologies. And I feel like personally, you know, the fact that <sighs> – but the fact that it, it it never really kind of like ended up like materializing into that is just a kind of like a, a damn shame. It's usually it's just like it's more either one side or the other.
1: I, um, I think it's actually both sides, but it's the worst of both of them.
0: Yeah, and you know, on, on the Republicans' point, you know, like I just I just don't really understand what the appeal is. I, I I feel like people, I feel like those politicians don't actually stand for anything they claim to stand for. I mean, it feels like their main agenda is just to find ways to get corporations to give them money yeah. uh, I, don't, I don't feel like they have really any other like sense of operating no they but, don't because because the only thing that i really ever see them doing it, it feels like their main mission in in washington and in houses all over the all over the country is just to find ways to keep any bills from passing
1: well like, that's when they're uh, out of power
0: And when they're in power. (laughs) Uh, Well,
1: when they're in power, I mean, well, I mean, you don't see that. I mean, you see that from the Democratic side, too, though. I mean, they're both blockading each other's movements. You don't you don't think you see it as much?
0: uh, No, I I definitely see it. And it's driving me absolutely insane. In fact, I was going to bring this up earlier, but I just kind of spaced it. But like the the conversations happening right now around the filibuster, Mm -hmm. I have had wildly like just like swings of feelings about how I feel about the filibuster. I've felt on one side of it and I felt on the other side of it and back and forth and back and forth. But I think I'm finally getting to a place now where I think it would probably be best for the country if it didn't exist.
2: Yeah. I just hate that they want to get
1: rid of it the second that it benefits them and that they love it when it's the opposite. So that's what kills me. Yeah.
0: And honestly, like three months ago I felt differently than that. Like, I felt like it was important for it to stay in place. Mm. And I don't know that I feel that way anymore.
1: Yeah, Joe Biden's president. I got
2: you.
0: No, no, no. I, <laughs> no I'm just I, I, with you. I said this back in February after, you know, like, after he was president, I was like, you know, I think filibuster needs to stay in place because I did an episode about this. But, like, recently, I'm now starting to realize what the filibuster really is. And I think what it really is at the end of the day is an excuse for people in Washington not to do shit. Okay. Yeah, I, 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 really, I really do. I, I really I think it's an excuse for them not to do anything, yeah. because at the end of the day, like if a, if an issue really was overly terrible, you know, then I mean, the next party would just come in and remove it. But if it's mm. popular, then the next party who comes in, whether it's the Republicans replacing Democrats or vice versa, they're gonna have a hard time getting rid of it because mm. it will be po- overly popular. I mean, you're seeing that now kind of like with more or less with Obamacare. I mean, now that it's been in place for 10 years, the Republicans are basically 10 years. Ten years. Yeah, the Republicans have basically given up on trying to get rid of it. Why? Because their voters like it now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh. Yeah, I could see that as a, as it being somewhat of a blockade. You're right. You you can reverse things. One one of my big issues with it now is, I guess this is more due to the blockade, but the um, and I've looked into this. It's not. It, it comes up periodically. Like it's not like this is a completely new phenomena. It's being used. What seems like a lot more in recent history, but if you go back like a hundred years, it's still. A pretty basic pace but uh the executive orders like it, it those seem like an abuse like because they just push things you got a hand up
0: oh no it, i was just saying i'm it's kind of hard to see but i was like saying yep they've been going up
1: yeah going up yeah going yeah up. yeah it's uh well like i said though if you go over the past hundred years there's presidents who've used them more than the past two but yeah it just seems like that's the new flavor of the week you just you know, you want something, you push it through, and you don't need to go through any of the checks and balances that happen. The next guy can uh, executive order it out of there. We'll just have one guy making vast decisions for the country, and this is really the culmination of like my entire issue with this two-party system and why I just want to break it. Is everything has become so detrimental with the amount of power we have pushed towards the top, mostly towards the executive branch, that we now have people like the conservatives voting for Trump in my state for no reason at all because it's not going to mean anything. People's egos are so wrapped up because they're terrified because their entire way of life can be dictated by the current 51%. And so it feels like life or death every time we have one of these elections and people can't think. So that's why you have the conservatives, which essentially they just don't like the Democrats. You're like, what do the Republicans stand for? They stand for fuck you, Democrat. That's it. Like That's, that's it. That's all they have left. And I personally don't think the Democrats are much better. The only reason they get to be is because they're obviously winning.
0: They did the right thing by being on the right side of these social issues. They yeah. I mean honestly not not all late, of them. But... I'm not saying like I'm not saying like across the board, but while Republicans were dragging their feet on some social issues like well, let's just throw one out there for instance, gay people can't get married. Obviously just dumb. It's just dumb. Yep. Like it's just dumb. I'm, I'm sorry. It's just dumb. Like, just let that go. Like, who cares? You know, yeah. like your life. I thought Republicans were about, you know, just like being, you know, like self-autonomous, you know, it's yeah. just like. But it's you,
1: just, you get that more on the left, though. You get a quicker um pivot. Like, you can just throw it on the Democratic Party, like, because it wasn't cool, like, just five years before that, like, when when Hillary and uh
0: Oh, no. Obama were running.
1: Yeah, they weren't about it. But all of a sudden, they're just like, it's cool. And there's something about like the collective mindset of the left wing where they're just like gay marriage is cool. 100%. We've all been on board the whole time. And it's like overnight. And like the Republican Party does not have that. They're like, change coming. You all agree. And they're like, hell no, I don't like But but they'll only agree when they're like, well, now the opposite side of agreeing with me is the Democrats win. And they're like, all right, well, I guess I'm on board now. (laughs) Like,
0: but the- <laughs> Right. I'm just trying to say, like, imagine a world yeah. where the Democrats and the Republicans actually agreed on social issues, but they just disagreed economically. Yes. I, I, I think that you would have a situation where you would probably have the Republican Party being a lot more appealing to a lot more people if it was literally just like, hey, we agree, you know, like human rights need to be respected, so on and so forth, just straight down the fucking list. But... Democrats want to spend a fuckload of money, we want to spend less money. Uh, let's talk about that. And you would have a much different like sphere in our in our political world. You really would. But that's not what the case is. The case on the Republican side is that they want to just like basically, just be on the opposite side of every socialist just for the sake of having something to fight about it feels like
1: and really it's that's why i I was saying earlier i think you're going to see probably a longer democratic rule because the republican party seems to have completely lost their way and what you just described sounds similarly to the libertarian party social issues were like listen we're anarchists we do not have any not all not all libertarians are anarchists but i'm saying there's there's a large some of them that are we're like we have no place telling any individual what they can do with their private life. That's insane to us. So gay marriage is a no-brainer. That wouldn't even be a conversation. Um, but like, yeah, yeah, the, the Republican Party it just seems like dunks against the other side. And you're saying, hey, we disagree economically, but socially we're on the same page. That kind of sounds in the most Vegas of senses where the libertarians are at. And I think they're going to eat away at the Republican Party pretty soon because more people are waking up to that. Like, a lot of people are still playing playing it as team sports, but any informed conservative, I think, is leaving the conservative party.
0: Well, I will challenge you to come <laughs> onto one of these panels so that you can convince some other people of that, because I don't, I, I just don't see it happening. I feel <laughs> like people are so red team, blue team. Yeah, that's is the issue. Ob- yeah. It's to a detriment, honestly. People, what they're just like, what their loyalist feelings to these parties, they're just like, oh, well... You know like my dad's a republican my mom's a republican everyone in my neighborhood is a republican i have to be a republican and so on for the other side for democrats right to have people yeah. who like when you th- when you talk about the phrase identity politics that is literally what that means like mm-hmm. people get so wrapped up and just like well everyone i know votes this way and i'm convinced from my three you know like minutes of watching fox news that the democrats are everything wrong with this country so i have to be a republican i have to play for a red team like h- how do you actually convince those people to Break away from that.
1: Yeah. Actually, this kind of brings me on to something I want to talk about in the last thing. Cause I, all right. So I was talking about all of those different news sources I listen to, and it leads me to kind of this like scatterbrained version of ideas. But it leads me to this one delusion that since I've heard so many other sides, I'm going to do this magical thing every time I open up my mouth and I'm going to be able to explain the opposite side to some, like, you know, I say I take that oppositional view sometimes in a debate and I'll start saying things I don't even believe in. Sometimes I think there's always just one more thing that needs to come out of my mouth for the other side to be like, Oh, we all agree on the same thing. And I feel like I fumble that a lot. Like um, last week, I was talking about a a few different identity politics things. Um, I was talking about it like a few different uh, racial matters and um, how people view them. I think one thing I fumble on is that I always think I'm going to be like, hey, here, let me explain it to you in a way for those people that you're saying aren't going to hear this those people that are like hey like just oppositional red team people they need it to be explained in a very specific manner for that for for them to hear it and I feel like it's not out there but oftentimes I feel like I sound like I'm just saying racist talking points while trying to put it into perspective some of these people could understand you know
0: yeah I mean I I live in a red state Mm -hmm. so having conversations like this are I mean, they're both uncomfortable mm-hmm. and they feel necessary at the same time. I feel you. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's, it's definitely a very different conversation, you know, mm-hmm. like when you know, you're talking to somebody who isn't, who is on a very different place than you are currently and trying to find a way to break through all of the just barriers that we have when we're trying to like have these conversations with people because there's a lot of just like defensiveness that you have to get around before you can even appeal to someone's logic mm-hmm. and trying to find the right set of words to get around someone's defensive barrier to even get to the point where you can logically reason with them that's insanely difficult it really is you know yeah. and, and that'll that's all even contingent on the idea that that person's even willing to talk to you which more and more you know like that's getting harder and harder to do because we're just so polarized like you bring up politics and it's just like up uh, you yeah, know I know
1: I know and like you said these are uncomfortable conversations but I feel like I I almost have to have them when somebody's willing to because they don't get talked about and it's great that we can have it in a public space like this because more people need to hear it but one of the things I wanted to say with that perspective is I always try to take on that uh, opposite perspective and I feel like oftentimes it might be unnecessary because not everyone's going to receive it in the same way. And uh, while I try while I try to put it in terms that somebody who is going to come at it defensively can understand, that's what I'm trying to break down. I'm trying to break down the defense and put it in a perspective that somebody who is defensive could understand it. But for me personally, what I want to spend more time on this show doing, and more so in my personal life, I'm probably still going to try to put it in that palatable way because I think other people need to hear it, hear it. I have somewhat of a conservative audience. They should hear it, it's, and it's not. My audience is actually very split. It's, it's it's very both sides, but all right. I'd like it to be. I, I pretend it is. It's probably more conservative leaning by accident, but um, yeah. Um, I'll try to put it in that perspective. But I think a lot of people need to spend more time listening and you can't just tell someone to do this, but this is something I want to actively do more in my own life. I don't, every time there's some racially divisive matter or I mean just anything, it doesn't have to be racial. like uh, like, uh, sexually like, I mean like trans rights or something or like these hot topic things that usually put people into defense mode, religious topics and stuff. I want to spend a lot more time listening. I want to spend a lot more time just hearing people out and letting them get their point across without just trying to combat it to make both sides heard because I should just go find somebody else who has the opposite side and let both opinions speak for themselves. I don't always need to play devil's advocate. Sometimes I think it can take away from the conversation where more could be added if I was just asking questions. So, I don't know, something like that.
0: You know, I I think it's time and place for both, honestly. It's just, I mean, like... I hate to be just you know like so like oh either or but like I, I really do think that there are times where pushing someone is the right move and then there are times where just listening and accepting more or less and just like allowing people the chance to just you know really just uh, elaborate on mm-hmm. what it is that they're trying to say and think that's the better thing and, you know, and, and it's hard to really know from an from an outside, which you're supposed to do in which situations but that's one of the things i think you can just feel out in the conversation mm-hmm. you know you can just kind of know like oh we need to push this or oh we need to just let this one go you know but you know both of them have their place definitely i mean for me again you know when it comes to politics i'm in a place right now where i am trying my best to just hear people because i firmly believe that being overly combative is doing nothing but harming us right now. Like there's a time and a place to like, kind of like stand your ground and, you know, like push back and, you know, be like, Hey, that's not cool. Like, Hey, you know, like, you know, like this is not the right thing to be saying so on and so forth. But I think more or less right now, what, what we really need to do is find a way to get to homeostasis. Yeah. You know, yeah. a little more balance would be nice.
1: Yeah. It just feels like uh yeah. I mean, so just heating up instead of going back to that nice neutral point. <laughs> I don't know. I I hope we get it back, but it it really does. It feels like, I mean, I always say like people are like, why does it feel like politics are everywhere? Why does it feel like it's everywhere? It's just kind of the result of being in a failing nation. Like as things get worse, you're not going to have the opportunity to avoid politics. And I'd like to get back to that point, but I don't know how to do it. It feels like it's going to just keep boiling.
0: Honestly, I mean, the answer to your question, I mean, more or less is just social media. Yeah. I mean, in a nutshell. So I'm I mean, a hero. I'm doing, I'm fighting the good war. <laughs> I mean, it, it really is. It's, it's social media because at the end of the day, you know, like it's just, it's thinking about it, this from a really just simple perspective. I mean, when people are on social media, you're either doing one of two things. You're either seeking out the thing that gives you the strongest dopamine reaction, or you're trying to get clicks to make yourself feel better. Right. Yeah. You know, or like, or you have a business and you're trying to sell it yourself so on and so forth. Like, obviously there's that aspect too, but like, I mean, politics, are just insanely polarizing and so they're just really easy to share it's really easy for people to get latched onto it it's it's it causes visceral reactions in people Mm. you know and so like yeah when we're constantly in the matrix all day every day i mean of course it's going to be the thing that gets people talking the most and and like if it's going to keep having the reaction that it does which i don't necessarily think is a bad thing i think it just depends on what is being pushed i think that's the real key there but yeah you know, I think yeah. While we are constantly in our phones all the times, I mean, of course, it's gonna be everywhere. Yeah, of course.
1: Yeah, I know. I mean, just um, I mean, just the two sidedness, like when everything pops up. Which, oh man, I'm just it's coming again. I already know it's coming, man. But uh, the, the, just the the riots of last year and how every single thing was an argument nonstop. Like it's like while the while the or riots, protests, whatever whatever you want to call them. They're a little more complicated than that. Those things my, I actually have a buddy that goes into a really good description of how, like how those things are almost manufactured to result in the chaos that they are like, it's so on purpose. It's, it feels like, but the, uh, I'm saying everyone online, like was an extension of that. Like you could just see both sides like that were there on the street that day. You could see those sides online, just going back and forth and way more hostile than the actual on the, on the street people. It was way more toxic online. It was a constant, like, war. And, I mean, this is mainly from a Twitter perspective, which is one of the most toxic places on Earth. But, you know, it, it like, really did feel like it carried over to online. And uh, I wonder what this summer is going to be like, man. It's, it's, I feel like it's it's going it's to be worse after every, they let everyone out for COVID. That's when everyone was locked down. Like, now they're letting everyone out, I, I feel like there's a lot of pent-up energy.
0: I want to specifically talk to your conservative audience right now when i talk about this subject. Okay. Because this honestly, ha- have i been cursing too much by the way? Fuck no. <laughs> okay, good. Okay. Cuz this shit drives me crazy, okay? Yeah. We all know. We all know that the media goes out of its way to manipulate stories in order to get mm-hmm. the best ratings possible. We know this. We, we know this for a fact. I mean, in fact, that was a conservative, like, drum that was being beat around COVID, right? Yeah. Okay? Now, you, so you 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 know this to be true, but at the same time, I felt like the blinders were on significantly when it came to the riots last year, right? When you look at the data from all the protests that happened in America last year, 93%, Peaceful. 93% of them resulted in nothing. Mm -hmm. No property damage, no rioting, no nothing. So we're talking about 7%. 7% was what actually took place. There were protests in all 50 states. There were no riots in states like Idaho, in states like Mississippi, in states like Delaware, in states like Maine, in states like, I mean, just like, you just like look around at some of these places like we were basically just focusing on what was happening in just certain cities it Mm -hmm. was just certain large like just like metropolitan areas yeah where some of these like things broke out but besides that it was relatively peaceful across the country but with that being said like the media just wanted to focus on the places where it was violent why well let's just keep it real for a second like as most people probably know negative news sells more than positive news in fact It's like three to one in ad revenue, Mm -hmm. as far as like how they make money off of negative news versus positive news. I got friends who live in St. Louis, who were talking about things that were happening back when, uh, when Ferguson was going on back in 2014, Mm -hmm. they were making it like, I remember I had one friend account talking about like how, like, yeah, like all the coverage that you saw on like CNN was basically happening on like one or two blocks. They tried to make it seem like the whole city was on fire, you know? So it's like it's just absolute sanity like i was actually i saw the coverage on cnn just recently about uh george floyd you know like the right like the day of his trial right they're trying to make it seem like there was like these huge demonstrations going all over i had a friend who was in minneapolis walking around we're talking there was like less than a thousand people in the streets mm-hmm. man this is a city that has like you know half a million people there so it's just like yeah. I, I just, I hate that so many people got caught up in the idea that they're like, oh man, like, oh, these riots, they're so terrible. We're talking about such a small amount of people. Let's not yeah. fall for this. Okay. It's yeah. propaganda. I mean,
1: uh, small amount of people did cause like, I think what, it was a couple billion dollars worth of damage. It was like, it wasn't, it wasn't anything insignificant. I'll I, like, I'm not gonna, I, cause I can't, I don't stand for that shit at all. Like the, the, uh, like, all right, public property damage. I don't really care about as much, but private property damage, I don't stand for at all. Like, I mean, I'm not going to cry about Target, but like literally seeing a mom and pop shop get their windows smashed just infuriates me. It's so unnecessary. It's so unproductive. It hurts your movement. It, it's it's nothing but just pure animalistic rage. And it, it's stupid, but you're right. It's not the majority of what was going on. And I, I have a buddy who's on the ground at most of these things. He, he's an activist and he goes around. Um, he was saying, he's like, What do you think is going to happen, okay? Because there's a protest going on, and it's at the center of town probably, right? Maybe at the town hall or something, Um, or outside of a precinct, or one location. Now, they take every single cop in the town, in the city, and they line them up in one spot in the town. Do you not think opportunists are going to go elsewhere and loot and smash things and get away with it? Like, they're not idiots. There's some nefarious people out there who would like to cause destruction, for just the sake of doing so. And when you tell them, you advertise to them every cop in your city's busy right now playing dress up in front of a bunch of protesters to be a show of force. Yeah, you're gonna go fucking cause damage everywhere you can.
0: Or or just get yours, man. Get some fucking sneakers and a cell phone. Fuck it. Like, why wouldn't you? You know what? I wanna be you're hundred percent right. I was I was like taking a while to to like flesh out my point there for a second, but I, I do want to speak to the other side of this. Yeah. When I talked about on my podcast last year about the the rise that did take place, I want to be very clear about something. as a person who is on the left, I think all rioting is bad. yeah, all of it. Okay. i'm not I'm not okay with any of it. As far as I'm concerned, people who riot are criminals, and I'm okay with them going to jail for the show. yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I really am. But like, but the thing that was really upsetting for me was just the lack of context, you know? Mm-hmm. because on one hand, you know, most of these businesses, are able to rebuild, right? Because, I mean, as a person who has sold commercial insurance, I understand how commercial insurance policies are set up. And every single basic policy, I mean, every single one, it is a national standard that you are protected from riots in every single basic package that you have to sell for a business owner's policy. And they're usually insured for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Every state has a minimum amount that you're supposed to be insured for. So most of these people, are going to have these commercial policies. So they literally are completely indemnified from what happened from these things, okay? So well, I I mean, not, so you get, not everyone, yeah. not everyone. Yeah. There are some people who don't have these policies. There are people who slipped through the cracks, who their whole ways of life were ruined. Yeah. I feel for those people. That definitely happened to people. I'm not trying to say like no one had that experience. Of I'm saying a lot of people were completely indemnified. Like yeah. they were brought back to whole. But yeah, I mean, What I really hated was that the whole narrative was, you know, oh, well, you know, anyone who talks about Black Lives Matter is just someone who's just like believes in rioting or this, that, and the other. And it's just like, yeah, like, come on, man. Like, like at the end of the day, you know, like I am not with anybody who thinks that, you know, burning down a building or going and stealing some stuff. I'm not with those people. But at the same time, don't try to make it sound like the reason why people were protesting is very negative because a few people in comparison decided to take advantage of the situation to be complete pieces of shit. Yeah. Like that's not fair. It's not, it really yeah. isn't. Like most of the people who were out there were operating in good faith and they were out there for a good reason. They're trying to demonize everyone who believes in that because some people decided to take advantage of the situation. Exactly. I,
1: I personally, I don't believe anything I hear about these groups anymore, whether it be black lives matter, Antifa, Boogaloo boys, any one of these. Um, I just don't cause I haven't, been there to see it. Uh and um I I've t- spoken to some people who have been there and I somewhat do take their accounts because I've looked them in the eye. That's about it. That's that's all I can say is I I've I've been able to talk to these people or I mean some I've only looked in the eye in this sense like you know digitally. But um I mean they've made their points, they've talked about their perspectives of being there and uh yeah, I just don't take any of it because when I see the people I trust in the way that they're smeared I don't believe any other groups being portrayed correctly. Anybody who wants change seems like they're being undermined. Like the same guy I'm talking about told me, he says there's, I think, 23 chapters in Michigan alone of Black Lives Matter. They are not a unified force. They do not all agree. And mainly the one thing they have in common is hating what most people think of as Black Lives Matter as the main uh, organization that donations go to and is funneled straight to the DNC. They're really about that, that they're being co-opted for things they don't believe in. So that's what I've understood from the majority of Black Lives Matter is that they are not a unified hive mind. They're a diverse force of many different people, many different backgrounds with many different ideas. Probably same goes for Antifa. I, I mean, definitely same goes for Boogaloo Boys and probably any other of these groups that are rising up tribalistically in a decaying nation. They all want different things. And a lot of them, I think, want a lot of the same things, maybe from different ways of achieving it, but they all want a better system that everybody can reside in. They might they might have different ideas of how to get there. But uh yeah. And that guy's trying to build something called uh, the Unity Coalition where he's getting all these different activists to come together and talk about their points. And he was saying it. He had um he had uh it was like a debate panel with uh yeah a Black Lives Matter activists and an Antifa guy and a Boogaloo boy just all sitting there having a discussion and mostly agreeing. Like these supposed opposite forces have so much in common.
0: Yeah. And, you know, that's the, that's the, yeah, that's, that's one of the things that, you know, I, I just keep wanting hammering home is that we really do have more in common than we have, than we have disagreements. And so not talking at all, does not make any sense where we can still accomplish a lot of people are talking to each other, but yeah, you know, I I think like even now, you know, like that. I, I see this narrative constantly being pushed across like social media or what I'm just like out in public hearing people being like, oh, you know, anytime I see the phrase Black Lives Matter, all I can do is all they do is like have that association between Black Lives Matter and rioting and or the group that calls themselves Black Lives Matter, which, yeah. you know, like takes all the donations like you were talking about, so on and so forth. I'm just like, it, it, it just bothers me so much that the media for the sake of ad revenue was able to distort all of that You know, like so efficiently when it's just so outside of basically what everything that happened last summer was mostly about, you know, Mm. I mean, like if you have a hundred demonstrations and 93 of them go well and seven of them don't, but the whole country thinks of the seven as the whole movement, like that's pretty infuriating.
1: And then even when you think of the seven and you realize that almost every single one was provoked into the type of violence that it created, like it's just normal human reactions to a system they put in place. They got all the police out of an area. They went to places that already are just, you know, disgruntled because of the uh, current abuses and stuff. Like they, they just made a perfect storm to create these problems. So when I see that happen in almost like almost every single one, when they went violent was on the dot at the time that the cops said, we're going to start firing pepper gas this time. Like that's when they all went crazy. They went crazy at the same time. Every day, the cops initiated first, they go, okay, 7 PM. We said, go home. And then everybody goes
0: nuts. Yeah, I mean that—that's you know how the police were interacting with protesters. That's that's a really hard one to judge because I'm not kind of one of those people who thinks that the police shouldn't be you know ever like breaking up crowds. Yeah. But I feel like every situation is very is very different, and there are times where like yeah, the police should have broke it up, and there are times where yeah, the police are obviously abusing their power here. But it's hard mm-hmm. to know from cell phone videos, right? Yeah. Because you're not there to see everything that's going on. You know, so but, you're getting a snapshot of, like, one quick moment, usually from a lot of these, you know, like, from these protest videos in particular. So you're yeah. not sure, like, you know, like, what exactly was taking place before that, what happened, you know, like, over in this, like, down the street, so on and so forth. So it's hard to really know yeah. exactly what's happening in each one of these individual situations, truthfully.
1: Like, like for the same reason I shouldn't be judging Black Lives Matter, Antifa, and all these other groups, I shouldn't be judging the police as a whole, uh, because I'm not there to experience what they're going through. And, yeah, I, I don't know it. But... I do have to just look at the fact that it's recreated events and whether it came from the top down, it was a screw up. I don't blame them as individuals maybe, but you can't think for a second that if you put every cop in town in one place, it's not going to lead to opportunities taken advantage elsewhere. And then you have your perfect display of, Oh, like how should we have known that was going to happen? It seems pretty obvious to me. It seems pretty obvious like that you're going to have these type of results. So, while I don't blame them as individuals, I, I think structurally they did the best thing they could do to create a situation that called for more police in the end.
0: Yeah, I, I understand exactly what you're saying. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't know. You know what? All right. So uh, we're, we're about to go long again. I had one last thing I just wanted to touch on before we get out of here and stuff. Just speculated on it quick. I told you. uh, We we, we, we both only read about 10 of these, but uh, just talk about some of the weird stuff that's come out of... uh. Anthony Fauci's emails yeah (laughs) just yeah one last one yeah just a a fun bit to end on I mean have you so you've read it um he's not going to jail (laughs) that's not happening but uh I don't know uh so what did you find from your reading so far and I'll, I'll go on some of the things I was able to notice
0: the thing first of all I you know Sometimes I forget who I've had these conversations with. So I gotta like just We haven't like, talked at all. <laughs> it's been yeah, two it days. Yeah. So so Fauci is a person who I mean, from what I can understand, mm-hmm. is someone who had more information than he let on and decided not to share everything that he had, you know, particularly with the safety concerns around masks were concerned. Yeah. And he believed that you know, masks were important for everyone to have, but in the beginning of the pandemic, he said otherwise. And then it, we found out later that he actually did know how important they were the entire time, but that he didn't tell people because he was afraid that if he did, then everyone would rush out and buy them and then the medical professionals wouldn't have enough. So he just, he didn't trust the people with the information, which in my mind, sowed a lot of doubt into his credibility in the first place. And Yeah. Just, just not really, not really a good look, not really a good look, obviously. So it's, it it makes sense to me why there was a little bit of just kind of like, can we really trust everything this guy's saying? Mm. Because let's just be fair. We're talking about very sensitive things here. I mean, when you're talking about a person basically being put in front of the American people every single day and being like, we're putting all these restrictions on your life, because it's the right thing to do. Like, there's a lot of financial like, uh, you know, hardship that comes from that. There's just medical, there's just like mental health, like issues that are gonna come up with people being inside all the time. You're, you're asking for a lot of authority. And in order to have that authority, there has to be absolute trust. Mm-hmm. And it was obvious to me that you know, Fauci, like from reading these emails, that he had more information than he was letting on in the beginning. And he wasn't sharing that with the people. Mm-hmm. And maybe you have a good reason for doing that. But honestly, man, like with, with what position that you have in society, like whether or not you had the best of intentions for not sharing that information, you have to understand what the repercussions are going to be if it comes out later that you knew more than you, than you said you did. Like that, that, there's just no way it doesn't. I'm sorry. It really doesn't. I actually kind of read time. the emails
1: a little different, though. I, um, From what I what I gathered in it, is he actually didn't think masks were as important at that time. He didn't... It, it seems like he legitimately didn't think so. And it actually seemed more weird when he started suggesting it because nothing had really seemed to change from his perspective that would suggest they were better at the point in time they did. Whether they are or aren't, I... Um, I mean, I think most of the research shows that they at least help. But um, no, it, it didn't seem like he ever really was handed any new information that would change his perspective of saying they're not worth it. He then went on to say that he said it so that medical professionals would have him and it wouldn't cause a panic. But the way the emails read to me, it, it seemed like he legitimately thought masks aren't going to solve this. So it doesn't even really matter at that point in time. Just throwing that out there. I don't know, but.
0: Right, right. Well, I was, I yeah, I was going to uh, say after that, though, like, I, I think also the one thing to point out is that a lot of these emails that people are looking at, it, it, it's important to understand the dates on these things, Mm. like these were January, February, March. So we're talking about like the beginning of all of this stuff happening. So you're operating in real time, trying Mm -hmm. to figure out all this information, trying to figure out like, what's true, what isn't true, you know, like, and, you know, like, let's just, I mean, like, I know that we want to like throw like a nefarious spin on it. I know that a lot of people do, do. but like, let's just throw like a, let's throw a human element on there for a second. Mm -hmm. I mean, to be completely fair, I mean, how could you have a definitive knowledge about a brand new virus in a matter of a couple of weeks. I mean, you're taking in information from everywhere. Mm. You're doing your best to evaluate that information. It just makes sense to me that what you know would change over time. That 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 doesn't make sense to me. So I mean, yeah. like, if you're like, okay, I thought this, but then I got this piece of information, and then I changed my opinion, so on and so forth. Keep you know pushing that down the road. The only like issue that I truly have with all of it is that like as you were learning new information, you didn't feel the need to share it.
1: Exactly. That's that's one of the biggest issues. And that's more so why I'm saying, you know, you look at it from the human element of, oh my God, all these people are putting their faith in this one man and this this poor guy has got so much on his shoulders. He's, he, he's got to be, like they're looking at an epidemiologist to be an economist, a uh, a uh, virologist, a uh, just, just too many, he's wearing too many hats. They're asking him questions that are outside of his lane of expertise. But the thing is, Why I condemn him is because he had no problem giving official answers while knowing people look at him in this sense. He had no problem making comments on the economy, whether or not schools should be shut down, and all these other things that are just from the lens of an epidemiologist that really shouldn't be the one lens we're looking at this thing through. We should have all these outside sources. So he was given way too much authority by other authority For no good reason. He was put on TV every day for Dr. Fauci's story time for the first two months. And it, it, like, he just got a trust with people that was undeserved, in my opinion. There should have been like eight guys up there, and we shouldn't have known either of them, any of their names too well. But instead, we all knew Tony Fauci. We all knew the one arbiter of truth in this thing. And because of that, he was looked at with a lot more respect and when you come to find out that not only is he not giving information in certain spots he's completely pivoting information because he was given you're saying let's look at the dates of these back in January February he had already been given information by several other virologists that this thing appears to be man-made it's very subtle but you can find details that appear to be man-made in it and he dismissed that as conspiracy theory for about a year now, and now he's had to go back on that in the past month and say it possibly could have leaked from a lab, Yeah, it might be possible, and then you look at the other side of the emails, and you put it in the context that he's super buddy-buddy with a lot of the people on the Chinese side that worked at the lab, and then additionally, he's working with Facebook in these emails to kind of orchestrate the narrative of what can and can't be said, and specifically one of those things is that at all talking about it coming from a lab should be wiped from Facebook. And so when you know he's buddies with these guys who are at this lab and you know that he's working actively with social media to keep that information from getting out. And then a year later, he's having to double back and say, maybe I was wrong. It sounds like you were working towards an outlook that you wanted people to have. And that's propaganda of the highest form. And I completely condemn him for that. Maybe I'm going too far.
0: <laughs> Allow me to play devil's advocate here. Here we go. All right. So. I. I first of all, we're saying that like, you know, maybe that's one person shouldn't have had all this power. Absolutely not. Sorry. My question really more or less is who gave him this power? Because the fact of the matter is, is that as a government employee, he was very, he didn't have to be on that stage every single day. Mm -hmm. And in fact, towards the end of 2020, he wasn't on that stage every day. The only reason he was on the stage every day in the beginning, and I hate to be this person right now, was because The president of the United States asked him to be on the stage every single day. Mm. The president of the United States asked him to make speeches every single day. So I hate to just say it this flatly, but at the end of the day, you know, that kind of falls on Trump. Mm. He didn't have to give him that much power. He didn't have to. He could have been like, Fauci, you and a group of people are going to inform me, and then I'm going to determine what I'm going to do with that information. He could have went that route, but that's not the route that Trump took. And he had all of the power in that situation. Fauci is a member of the CDC as a government en- you know entity. At the end of the day, if Trump didn't want him to be on TV once, he didn't have to be. He could have mm. fired him. He could have gotten rid of him. You know he's not a publicly elected official. He could have easily just gotten him out of there or just never put him on TV in the first place. He, so yeah. I mean, a part of me says, hey, Trump, I mean like that, that's easily could have fallen on you and you could have gone to the American people and been like, hey, you know maybe that's on me for putting this guy in this position where he had all this power. I should have just, you know, been making these speeches myself, or Mike Pence, who he put in charge of that task force, so yeah. on and so forth. But let me play a little bit further, Devil's Advocate here mm. on the whole lab leak theory. In the beginning of the pandemic, when he was receiving these emails about whether or not this virus was man-made, honestly, let me just say this outright. In the beginning of the pandemic, did that matter then? And so, yeah, okay. Let me let me be very clear about it. I'm not saying it doesn't matter at all, but did it matter then? Because at that time, you know, the main concern was finding a way to deal with a virus that is now sweeping through the world. Mm. Now, now that we're behind it, I think it's vitally important to know whether or not it's man-made because that tells me who needs to be persecuted, who needs to be locked up. Hmm. Uh, if we're curtailing this from happening again by working on gain-of-function research, you know, like this is all very important to me now. Yes, incredibly. But in the beginning, does it really matter whether it came from hmm. a lab or came from a bat? I mean, you, you're still dealing with it,
1: right? No, no and, and it, it, you're right. It doesn't matter. It's actually way more important now. However, what was more important then is for you to not make it worse like it'd be one thing to be like that's a theory we'll look into that later we have more important things there's a big difference when you go it's bullshit conspiracy theory propaganda no way oh you come to find out later he's in he's in the pocket of these people that he's covering for and yeah then it starts to seem like maybe that's something we should have known because that would have led to a lot more distrust additionally with the donald trump picking him thing At a certain point, that guy got away from him. They were arguing pretty heavily before that guy got off TV and Fauci was making his own appearances, undermining Trump, talking against him before he got out of office. Eventually, and and, you know, you were talking about these politicians aren't that smart. They're surrounded by smart people. Well, I I think it seems pretty obvious with Trump coming in with his anti-war mindset and then dumbassedly thinking he could work with people like Michael Michael, Michael Bolton and Mike Pompeo. Um, yeah, he like took the worst of the worst and added them into his group and some kind of like Abe Lincoln, uh, whatever, getting fucking, I forget what that is. Abe Lincoln hired a bunch of people in his cabinet. He didn't agree with. Yeah. It, it seemed to be like one of those, but those people railroaded him. And I find it funny that maybe the one person who was presented to him happens to be completely in the pocket of China. And that a lot of the people around him may also have been, cause it seems like a lot of, a lot of officials aren't necessarily fighting for this country. They're fighting for their own pocket. So yeah, I think a lot more people could have been paid off and Donald Trump might have been duped. Seems like he was at a lot of points. But I also go on the side of, I don't trust he was duped. I think he's playing his part in the theater and they're all screwing us over collectively.
0: I mean, I'm not going to argue against that theory. I just, you know, like at the end of the day, you know, I I think one of the things I had a conservative you know, friend say to me was, you know, as the president, you're completely on the hook for everything. If the country does well, get all the credit the country goes terribly you get all the blame and you know there's a lot of you know gray area in there obviously not everything is the fault or the you know responsibility of the president but with all that being said trump did have the ability in the beginning to Hmm. dictate how these press conferences went and that was his choice and so i mean like you know I, i just think that we need to just have like, again, some context around the situation. Like Anthony Fauci's fame is almost directly tied to the fact that Trump decided to put him on TV every day. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Well, I think it was started with that. Like, it's like, you know, you can knock, maybe Trump knocked the first domino down, but somewhere in the middle, there was a lot more bigger dominoes pushing the force when it became him kind of tied up as a, a media aspect to undermine Trump after a while. Like, I don't love Trump, but I think we can both agree he didn't get a fair shake when it came to mainstream media. Like they, like the difference between him and uh, how they ha- like they handle Joe Biden, it seems like they're dealing with like kid gloves. Like just just to look at the two, like like over the past month, Joe Biden did, what was the ice cream thing? They're like, can we ask you a question about something? They go, chocolate, chocolate chip, and walks away. Like he's just not answering questions today. He's eating ice cream. And then the car one too. She's like, can I ask you a question about something? He goes, yeah, you know, you asked that, you're gonna end up in front of my car. I'm taking off at 80 miles per hour. Imagine if Trump threatened to run over a journalist for asking a question, jokingly. But then the media is like, oh, Biden, you rascal. And I I, I, I don't know if you see it the same way because it blows my mind. I talk to a lot of like left-wing people that are like, I don't see it at all. I'm like,
0: really? Like, I don't even like him, but he didn't get a fair shake. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, two things are true at the same time. I mean, yeah. one, I feel like Donald Trump deserves the criticism that he got. Mm. At the same time, the media does not criticize Joe Biden at all yeah. for the most part, for the most part. Because like, I, I think when we say the media, we have to be very specific about what we're saying here. When you talk about the newspapers, like the national papers, you know, mm. Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, New York Times, so on and so forth. And then, yeah. you know, your cable networks, ABC, CBS, CNN, MSNBC. Well, you
1: didn't name anything that wouldn't have been in my mind is what I'm saying. I think we all have a similar understanding right. of what mainstream media is. Yeah,
0: Right. Like most of them are left-leaning like we mm. like i think most people who follow politics understand that they're all left leaning you know like publications there are very few right-leaning publications mm. but you know like and this is i i think this is like a something that i don't quite understand why there isn't more media that isn't geared towards conservatives like personally like i don't understand why there isn't a, like a a tv competitor for fox news i know that oan and uh newsmax have just recently crept up into the conversation but how Fox hasn't had a major competitor for the last like how many decades is beyond me. Um, but with all that being said, like, you're absolutely right. Yeah. The left, left-leaning media, do they take it easy on Democrats? Of course they do. The same re the same way that like when Republicans are in office, Fox can't get enough of them. In fact you get Sean Hannity on stage with Trump at rallies, you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, yeah, they've picked sides. Of course they have. And yeah. it's disgusting. It really is. Like the media shouldn't be involved in taking sides when it comes to reporting on politicians and that's the reason why independent media is having this surge that it's having right now it's literally surging because it's trying to fill a gap in what's necessary in our society we need honest reporting on politicians we don't have it therefore independent media is thriving right now because everyone's kind of coming to the realization that what we're seeing on tv and on these newspapers isn't actually news it's fluff and it's garbage, and we are all being done a huge disservice because it continues to exist.
1: I have more respect for, like, MSNBC and Fox News, though, versus something like CNN, because they at least acknowledge, like like you said, Sean Hannity's up on stage with Donald Trump. Like, yeah, like, you know what Sean Hannity is? Chris Cuomo tries to act like he's objective truth. Like, it's <laughs> insane to me. Like, it, that, that level of dishonesty is what throws me off in them. Like, I can watch MSNBC, and I'm like, yes, left-wing perspective. Cool, okay. All right. CNN's just like, the truth? Disagree? Die. It's like, I don't know, man. It seems offensive.
0: You know, I think my only disagreement with you right there is that I I think that all of them, and I mean all of them, I think they all try to claim that they are objective truth. Like Fox will tell you to the end of the earth that they are objectively fair to both sides.
1: While being described as a conservative news station, though.
0: Just, right right which is like i'm just like like just give it up i am just like give it up like you, you insult all of our intelligence fox we, we know you're on the republican side the same way we know MSNBC's on the on the democrat side like we know this can you just come out and say it i mean just stop pretending like we don't all see it you know i
1: just i just feel cnn just just them especially they just they feel like they do it worse than most people and i think it comes with the name of calling yourself central news network and then just not being centrally aligned it's uh Yeah, it's just a weird place. I I have more. The the other ones just seem to, whether whether they say it all the time. Coming out on stage with Donald Trump is kind of enough for me, like, or or at least to not. I I guess maybe Fox pretends that they're objective. I just don't. I don't think they even think anyone believes it. So like, they don't push it as hard. I think CNN thinks like people really think they're a central objective news station, and some people do. It's insane to me. Some of the boomers that watch that shit, like Fox people, everyone's like. Yeah, if you if Fox is your only information, that's where you get everything. Like nobody has a problem just being like, "Oh, those guys," but CNN and like they're ready for it too. Like right wingers like that, they're like, "Yeah, yeah, whatever." Yeah, I get my stuff from Fox. At least it's not your shit. CNN's just like, "No, th- like this is the truth." I- I'm a boomer who found the facts. Like it's it's insane to me.
0: There is nothing factual happening on cable news. I no. mean, honestly, and and I mean, there's a lot of different conversations to be had on here, but I think at the end of the day, when your whole When your business model is predicated on just how about on ad revenue i mean that's not really a great system to get objective truth no no i mean it's keeping it real for a second i mean cnn fox news msnbc they're a business yeah they're a business like they're not there to give you the news they're there to like make money Mm. you know and so when your whole like modus operandi Is we need to find ways to increase profits for shareholders the rest of us I mean what are we doing going to them for information
1: yeah really No, we're we're doing better with a independent stuff like um, oh I don't know independent thought maybe good channel (laughs) I'll tell you what man Uh, we're already closing on almost three hours here so we're gonna wrap this one up I think it's been a great discussion like I said you're always welcome on my guest today Desmond Price of Independent Thought. Go check him out. Anything else you want to plug, buddy?
0: Uh, no, man. I think that's it. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Independent Thought and on Twitter at the same. Um, come check it out. Uh, podcast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, basically anywhere you want to look. CastBox. Mm-hmm. Check it out there. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on.
2: Yeah,
1: absolutely, man. Really appreciate you. That's it for tonight's Trash Dog. Everybody,
2: have a good one.